back to the Zero to Hero podcast. I am your host, Denny Dumont, producer Carl. How are you doing, buddy? Really good. We have a pretty awesome guest in the house tonight. Uh, one of the questions I'm going to ask him is where he got this nickname from, but Scotty Wolf, that's not his name. His name is Scott Bordingon, Scotty Bordingon. Uh, Scotty, thanks for joining us, buddy. No worries. Thank you very much. I guess we've got to address it now. So Scotty Wolf was a weird one. I think... Um, so as as a lot of my persona is is I uh, I've always been a big uh, hairier gentleman. <laughs> um, I think a phenomenal beard, by the way. Thank you, great thank, beard. Thank you very much. It's, it's a lot of pride. <laughs> um, if I knew better, uh, then I probably would more like Scotty Bear just to to appease uh, all my gay friends and and <laughs> I fit in that category. Um, I get a lot of free drinks down at the pump jack. Uh, so, but uh, Wolf Wolf sort of came, I think, from the fact that I was I used to do my hair in spikes with dippity do back when it was cool in grade seven, eight, nine there, and uh, thought I was really cool with that uh, Wolverine hairdo, and I <laughs> uh, had a little facial hair earlier than most. So uh, it was one of those things that. I just got a nickname. Wolf was a nickname, and it stuck for a long time. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Not, not too many people know that one. Is that right? Yeah, not too many people know <laughs> the, the Scotty Wolf. Know me as Scotty Wolf. Have ever heard of me as Scotty Wolf? That's a, that's a throwback to, um, yeah, I guess what, 15, 19 years ago, twenty years ago now. <laughs> we can thank Alex for that one. Yeah, of course. Of that's course. how he introduced me to you the yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's, he might be the only person who still calls me Scotty Wolf. Really? So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about live music. We were ch- chatting about it before we started recording. I went to a concert last night. I love live music. It, uh, but just, <laughs> people at concerts are just ridiculous. Like how obnoxious are these people? We're like. We're and maybe it's our fault for standing close to the stage, but <laughs> as the show goes on, nineteen year olds get more and more intoxicated and they just start like not giving a shit about anyone. So there's like drinks flying all over the place. People are elbowing you in the face, like nobody cares. Especially when their song comes on that they've been there waiting to hear their song. They just go nuts. But Commodore is such a cool venue where like you just kinda gotta embrace the uh animal atmosphere <laughs> oh, uh, walk yeah well to, to just a tag team off that and, and cutting completely um uh yeah what we were talking about the last concert i was at at the commodore was uh steel panther and i forgot to tell you guys that so uh, steel panther's wild everything's going on and this place is nuts um i get knocked in the back of the head by some chick who was crowd surfing just got thrown <laughs> into the back of my head <laughs> so i go flying for him what Turn around, what the, what the fuck just happened? And uh, sure enough, she's like, oh, sorry. Pick her back up, keep her tossing around. So I mean, what, welcome to the Commodore, right? I think that's true for everything. <laughs> I feel like that's, up. yeah, we just like, a couple guys, we all just picked her back up and kept tossing her back around. She went and made it all the way back. And yeah. <laughs> Have you ever crowd surfed, Carl? No. Scotty? I've no, come on. What? It's like, it's like if Jack Black went to crowd surf at the, at the beginning of uh, School of Rock there, <laughs> just sort of jump onto nothing. <laughs> Is that a comparison you get before? No, no, I don't. Not very often. I don't get Jack Black. I usually get more like a, a Zach Galifianakis or a, a Seth Rogen before he lost the weight. That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was listening to a Seth Rogen podcast today. Actually, he was good on uh, Dax, who Megan recommended. It was, he, and Seth Rogen's pretty entertaining too. Uh, our friend here, Scotty, he has an affiliation, and we'll get into this with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I feel like you, you, watch that, you, you watch let that, you that one linger for a reason. <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah, I uh, I was in and out of the game. Um, it, it's a hard one. Uh, I've got history in that game in a couple ways. One through Kansas City. The second one is uh, my freshman year of college. I was in Philadelphia when uh, Andy Reid and the Eagles Ooh. lost to. To Remember Bill that. Belichick and Donovan the, McNabb, and the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, Donovan McNabb. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I've need, I've seen this a, a couple times now, <laughs> being devastated by the Patriots. Uh, so yeah, well, I will sort of leave it like that. I guess it's, it's hard. You can't bet. You cannot bet against the Patriots. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. There were Not two super happen. entertaining games yesterday, though. Holy cow! Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, even I was at a bar downtown before the concert, watching the end of the Pats game. And as soon as uh, Casey, uh, oh, oh no, I, I guess they went into overtime. You went over that window. But like as soon that. as Casey scored to go up, what was it 23-20, I think? Okay. Um, but they scored with two minutes left. Yeah. And so as everyone in the bar is just like, oh, it's going to be another New England win. Yeah. We've seen this story 58 times already. Every time Tom Brady has the ball, two minutes left, he wins. But like I feel like that has to be part of your game plan is that if you have the ball in the fourth quarter, you can't score unless there's like thirty seconds left. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, nobody does a two minute drill better than than Tom Brady and then the and the New England Patriots. So it's just so efficient. They they know the game and they, well. Did you look at the stat yesterday? It was like prior to this postseason. The amount of Kansas City Chiefs players who've been in the postseason zero. The amount of uh, the amount of New England like players who I guess if you, if you tally up all the games, yeah, or maybe the like AFC final or something, it's um, zero to one hundred and thirty-two games. <laughs> so uh, if if you're looking at stats that way, I mean it was bound to happen. I also I, I hate to say it, it's a little bit of a curse with Andy Reid when he breaks that finally and. If if he wins a Super Bowl, hopefully he does in the next couple of years. Um, for my sake as well, as, as a fan right. of Kansas City, um, it was Andy Reid back in the day when you were at in Philly. When too. I was in Philly, yeah, yeah, he was the one. He moved down from from Philly to to Kansas City. You just can't beat Tom. Okay, well, he can't, well, he can't he can't win more than two games in a postseason. Yeah, regardless, <laughs> like he had to buy this time, otherwise he would have been out last week. <laughs> that's that's Andy Reid. <laughs> you so. got to give credit to those guys, Brady and Belichick, but I. I I hate them with a passion. I think a lot of, it's hard not to. I mean, heavy yeah. is the crown, right? I mean, I hate them this year. Uh, oh, and last year too cuz I hopped on the the Eagles bandwagon. <laughs> uh so I can't I guess remember the last time I really liked them. Um but it's it's hard it's hard not to respect them. It's hard it's hard not to hate them cuz they're good. Hey, come on. <laughs> it's it's <sighs> difficult. Every year though they start the season slow and you're like, "All right, this is the year they're not going to make the playoffs." And then they're the number 2 seed. Yeah. And the well, AFC Championship every time. My my favorite was that it was like week three or something like that. Week two or three, uh, a reporter asked Bill Belichick, "Hey, so do you think it's time to sit Tom Brady?" And Bill Belichick just stares for about three minutes. Just stares. He's next question. In interviews. <laughs> yeah. He's great. I mean, he's he's one of those guys. You hear about these guys that are loved and the guys that are hated. And um, I think everywhere he's genuinely loved. He does so much for charity. Does so much for giving back to the game and to the people. And and uh, but he definitely has that persona in the in the media rooms, uh, and uh, it, it's it's funny to see, and then it's funny to hear about how how nice he is outside of it, right? His kid, I think, I'm pretty sure his kid's a lacrosse player. His son's a lacrosse player. Yeah. And he's, I think, his grandson, if he's got one, is a lacrosse. I think player. they said a stat yesterday. I think I heard this correctly, and if correct me if I'm wrong, one of you. But uh, New England 
for the last eight years has got a first round behind the playoffs. It might, that wouldn't surprise me. Eight years in a row. But they, uh, they didn't have it this year, did they? They didn't yeah. have. No, no, New they England? played in the. They're the number two seed. They. New England's yeah. number two seed. Yeah, you're first right. round by. Yeah. So first yeah. or second. Yeah, the, 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 Not that the, they yeah. win the AFC. Yeah, yeah you're 100 percent right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's insane. That's that, stupid. That's ridiculous. That's probably a number that no one's ever going to be close to. No, this is this is a dynasty to to end dynasties, right? Yeah. I, everybody, I'm, yeah. But then I guess everybody said that about what Pittsburgh back in the day with Terry Bradshaw and going five. I mean, nobody nobody has yet to do uh, uh, undefeated season since the Dolphins, right? So. I guess these are some of the ones you, you're not going to touch. Yeah. So, and he's still going like that. They're not done. They can win it this year. They can lose it this year. It's going to be the same team next year. You're still going to have with maybe maybe Rob Gronkowski not there. It seems he's just so injury prone. But now. yeah, at a certain point in time, you got to hang it up. And uh, but yeah, I think uh, the next couple of years you're going to see you're going to see Tom Brady on that field for another two three years. No, no problem. He's. Yeah, I feel like he's gonna be one of those guys that dies on the field. You know, <laughs> like he just keeps playing and playing and playing, and like you gotta be like, you're not gonna stop him from playing, and then all of a sudden he's just gonna like keel over, and he's, oh, he gave it at his all. You know, <laughs> bury him at the center of Foxborough. <laughs> okay, let's meet. Uh, let's meet our guest, Scotty Wolf, a little bit. It's just. It's natural. I'm gonna get out of it. <laughs> Yeah, I we'll only break it. We'll break it. We don't, not that we know each other that well, but I just know you through Alex. He's yep. like one of my best buddies. Yeah, exactly. And every time he talk, he talks about you a lot. Actually, yeah, <laughs> every time he talks about you, it's, it's always Scotty Wolf. Scotty Wolf. <laughs> so it's just like ingrained yeah. in my head. Fair I enough. I want to get it Fair out. Enough. Scotty. No. Yeah, we're gonna get to know Scotty. Sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Every uh, podcast, I ask my guests to describe themselves in three words. Oh, wow. Um. Oh. That's just uh, to give some insight in, into who you are to the yeah, listeners. Also yeah. to give me a little bit to go on. Sure. Um, three words that three words that describe me. Um, uh, intense. I okay. think in, in one way or the other, it could be intense in terms of um, uh, having to be the best, like a, a competitively intense or mm-hmm. or uh, perfectionist intense when it comes to the shucking side of things and the way I want things set up. Or it could be intense in the way <laughs> in how relaxed I can get to. And all of a sudden, we'll get to a certain point where I, I'll just go, eh, fuck it. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's roll the dice. What's the worst that can happen? And so there's, there's an intensity on both sides of that. Um, so I think intense could be one. Uh, jovial. Jovial. Uh, humoristic. How can you uh, define jovial? <laughs> <laughs> this is a big word. I've never heard that. I've never heard this one before. The word on the of the day. I, yeah. It was on my calendar. That's the only reason. My word of the my word of the day calendar. So that's why uh, this morning, like yeah, exactly, you, yeah. I just ripped, ripped it off today. Because <laughs> I, I think um, I just heard this on the radio. In uh, Jovia, I guess that works. Because today's apparently the saddest day of the year. Yes, I heard that. Yeah, so this is good. This people, would be a good podcast. I guess for three people. weeks after the new year, people's credit card bills come in from Christmas yeah. and stuff. Yeah. They realize that they're just as alone in 2019 as they were in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so you got to live with it or you don't, right? Uh, so that's uh, that's always tough. Is uh, but yeah, so jovial jovial is a good one. Um, and uh, I think I think the third one the third one would be, would be methodical. I, I do like to think. I like to spend time. Um, I do like to spend spend time planning. Uh, whether or not I execute on anything I've planned is a different story. Okay. But um, I do I do like spending time to think about things and 
sort of rolling with the punches and seeing um I like I like problem solving and and, and being methodical helps me see the goal and develop a plan to get to that goal. Okay. So I want to start with intense competitive. Where does that come from? To me in obviously a lot of my background is sport and I know yours is too. Yep. So I want to chat a bit about that, but it's just, it's, it's such a carryover trait that goes into the rest of your life, right? Yeah. It's, it's into business world. It's into like personal life and, and relationships. And to me, I look at competitive as like wanting to get better. Yeah. So that's how I define it. Maybe, maybe it can be defined differently from different people. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree. I, there's, there's, I think there's a bunch of different definitions of, of competitive and um, one of them for me is to get better. I definitely want to get better for myself, to get better in the craft, to get better in doing what I do. Um, the other side of it is to be the best. And that's a constant struggle because, uh, to be perfectly honest, I think my, my biggest motivator is failure. And it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, I like to, I want to be the best, so I set the bar as wanting to be the best. Now, if I fall short of that, it's a failure. If I hit that, I didn't set the bar high enough, so I'm a failure at setting the bar, which <laughs> develops this, this, really, this really weird circle of me never having success. But I think that drives me in a certain ways, too, to become to become better, to become the best, to become, and I mean, I, I haven't been shucking for that long. So to learn, to learn and, and see um, the guys who've been doing it and the guys who I respect and the guys who I know and meet and who are incredible at what they do, it's, it's a nice learning process. It's humbling. I think being humble while being competitive is important. Um, and I think, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will uh, look at me or, or will talk about me and listen to me talk about being humble and say, it's bullshit. Not humble. <laughs> One of the most egotistical guys I know, but um, <laughs> but at the same point, I'm, uh, I think I think there's there's there needs to be a little bit of bravado with with com- competition as well, and we all do it in in competitive in the competitive world. Is anyone successful though that's not confident in themselves? So I I look at what you're saying and say, sure, maybe it comes off as egotistical a little bit, but it, it's really just self confidence. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think and for I think this is where it gets weird for me is I think there's a um. There's a, a, a self-confidence that's rooted in doubt, you know? So to be able to, to overcome that doubt and to prove to not, not necessarily anyone but myself that, that, um, that, that it's okay to be confident, you know? That's okay to, to, to talk this way. It's okay to be, to, to realize that, it's, that, that I'm good, that you're good at what you do, and uh, that's part of that competition, I think. So I agree. Like there's self-confidence, there's bravado. I, I still think there's a little bit of cockiness and, and egotisticalness about it, a little bit of arrogance, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a fine line there's there, a, right? There's a very yeah. fine line, and I, I realize I'm a, I guess I'm a chronic line stepper, so I'm, a, I'm all right with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for people who don't know Scotty, Scotty runs a oyster shucking business, and we're going to talk about that. Yep. We're going to talk about where your passion for oysters comes because you're the most knowledgeable human I've ever met. And not that I've met a ton of knowledgeable oyster people, but like I couldn't see finding someone that knows more about the oyster than you do, (laughs) which is really cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Especially on your pursuit to be the best in this industry. To me, like where's the competition? You're the fucking yeah. Tom Brady of oysters yeah. right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, not quite there. Not quite. For, for the guys who, uh, who may stumble upon this, who 
are the Tom Brady's of <laughs> Oyster Shucking. I'm not saying I'm there. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's, there's definitely, yeah, I run, I run Before we started recording, he did say that, though. Yeah, so. yeah, there, there, yeah. There's nobody in the Oyster world but but me. Um <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I, I run my own, I run my own, uh, traveling raw bar business. Um, I do primarily oysters and caviar. Uh, so definitely niche, <laughs> but a premium niche, which makes it kind of a cool, a cool place to be in terms of business. So, um, I don't know if there's a question I was supposed to answer there, but no, you're, you're, <laughs> you're doing just fine. <laughs> uh, okay. I like, I like learning more about backstories. I like figuring out what makes a person who they are. Yep. Where this competitive nature comes from, where this slight egotistical yeah, the cockiness comes from. It was it is it sport for you? I yeah. So your backstory in sport is is heavily in lacrosse, is yeah. that right? Lacrosse and soccer primarily. Okay. Um I played lacrosse for the Burnaby Lakers. Uh, I played soccer for the Westburn Bombers. Um so I grew up in Vancouver and Burnaby primarily. Um I think my my family's always been big in sports. Both my parents were were uh, PE teachers. Um, they're retired now. That's why I say we're. <laughs> um, and I think that that they always harbored uh, in my sister and I to to be the best that we can be. And for my sister, it became being the best that she could be. For me, it became being better than everybody else. Like that was <laughs> that was how I was supposed to be. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely a push for that. I remember I, I was a lot more competitive when I was younger. I wanted to be the best. And uh, I would get into arguments. I, mean, I went to the same schools my, that my dad taught in. He taught me one year of um, PE, where I was in his <laughs> class only for PE. And uh, I will say he is the worst ref in any sport. He kicked me out, he kicked me out of class. I'm one of, like the, one of the first kids he's ever kicked out of class. And he'll say it was because I was arguing back. And I say it was because he was making bad calls that I got, <laughs> that I got kicked out of class. Um, so I was, I was very competitive growing up. Uh, it was always, yeah, I was always pushing it to, to, um, to be better. And I think I got, I did get lucky with, with being an athlete because of my parents. I think it, it came naturally to me and I, my parents pushed my sister and I into being well-rounded kids. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just lacrosse and soccer. We also played basketball, volleyball, track and field in high school, I did dance and sang and did musical theater and all that kind of stuff as well. So there was a lot of there's always a lot of competition in our lives because you're always fighting for that spot. Yeah, we didn't do any, uh, very rarely did we do an individual sport. I guess uh, track and field would be the closest. I threw shot put and ran a little bit. Okay. Um, but that was more of a hobby than it was a, a competition. Because by the time we went to cities or, or provincial, I guess by the time we got to provincial, I was grade 12 throwing shot put. I'm this kid who thought I was hot shit. And there's these guys coming from Kelowna who throw hay bales around. We're trying to make the Olympic team. I'm like, Oh, this, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I think it, a uh, deep, deep root in sports and, and, and the arts as well. But, uh, I went to school playing sports. And so that was a thing that sort of, uh, drove me, kept, it keeps driving me, I guess, is, is that competitive nature of being better, constantly being better, bettering myself and stuff like that. So how did you get involved in, Arts and theater. Because, okay, for me, looking back at my childhood, because we're, I, I'm assuming, roughly the same age. I'm a couple years older than you, I'm sure. I don't know, man. Are you? I don't know. Well, we'll talk about it off air. <laughs> we, won't re- we won't reveal anything. There's a little more salt in the beard than there was, uh, there was a couple years ago. Yeah, so. I'm starting to get grazed too, man. Um, I just look back and think, like, most of the kids that I knew 
it was like you're either and not that I want to put people in a box, but just from my experience, you're either like artsy or athletic or like <laughs> intellectual and smart yeah, in school. Yeah. You like kind of fit into one of those boxes. Yeah. Whereas you are were athletic, played lacrosse at a high level. You <laughs> I've been referred to as a <laughs> uh, a little a little Shirley Temple Maybe, according yeah, to Alex. Um But which, then yeah. you also went to grad school, so yeah. so you kind I, of fit all three. Yeah, it it was um I don't I don't know how. I don't know how my parents were able to do it actually. I think we owe I owe a lot more to them than I'm willing to give them credit for. So that they're not gonna find out about this podcast. <laughs> uh, but um yeah, I, I so I got I Carl, actually Carl, we gotta run a Facebook ad for yeah, this specific yeah. podcast directed my, solely. Neither of my at parents, neither of my parents Scotty. are on social media. They're, they're, <laughs> they're just outside that that uh my dad is like, oh Facebook I so okay, we'll send them guys. a cassette tape. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old eight track, get the record out, get a fresh press on uh, on vinyl. Um yeah, so I actually got into the theater or musical theater, that kind of world, because it's just it's just a little bit of a long story. My grandfather, um, my mom's dad. He grew up in Winnipeg, and World War II happened, and he uh, enlisted, and he had a bad eye. And so when they're doing medicals, he held the card over his bad eye. I remember as much as he could with his good eye, flipped it over, and sort of recited it. And just before he was about to ship overseas as an, inf- as an infantryman, he um, doctor came over and put over his good eye. He said, no, I can't read it. So he goes, sorry, son, you're, you, can't, you can't enlist. So he went back to, to Winnipeg, and he was pretty heartbroken. He couldn't go in fight for Canada over, over in Europe. And, uh, but then this, this group came around as sort of the Canadian version of the USO was coming around. We were looking for people who, who can entertain the troops. My grandfather had been dancing for years and tap dance and stuff like that. And so he, um, he said, I, I know how to do it. So he actually became the choreographer for this troop that would come around or would go around Europe and entertain the troops about a mile or two off the front line. And so when I was born, um, my parents were like, well, let's get him in the same realm as, as, uh, as his grandfather. Let's, let's make Pappy proud. So, um, Pappy and myself, I, I think I did my first dance of singing in the rain when we were, when I was, I don't know, four, four or five years old, wearing a big red <laughs> raincoat. And, and then it sort of came out and my parents kept doing it. My parents kept saying, okay, you're going to do it. And do you want to do it? They never forced us into it, but if we committed to something, they said, you have to, once you commit to something, you're going to do it. You can quit at the end of the year, but you're not quitting mid-season. You made that commitment. And um, so every year came around, you want to do it? Yeah, well, it's over. Yeah, so of course I want to do it next year. Yeah, of course. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then uh, unfortunately I had to get out of it um, due to sports. Sports sort of took over and and uh, one had to, I had to give one up. And that sort of, that was the one that I ended up giving up was the, was the theater side of it. So What age was that? Uh, I was probably 16, 17 years old, so oh, I did okay. it for a, for a long period. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple of years off there. I did get some injuries, um, and so the injuries took me out of doing some of the things that I wanted. Um, but it was it was a yeah, that was sort of the the life. Do you have any sweet home videos? I'm I'm sure there are. <laughs> I'm sure there are sweet home videos. Is there anything on YouTube right now? Can we pull something up? There might there might I honestly I. I want to say I haven't Googled myself, but we go back to the egotistical thing. Um, I honestly don't. I think I'm out, I'm outside. I'm outside that era of of yeah. cell phone too video. Early. You know, I I think if you have it, some guy's holding a, a recorder, some sort of recording device that's not a cell phone to to take video of that stuff. So. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world about being part of our era, though? Our yeah. our generation is that our lives are going to be on the internet forever. So like our great grandkids 
we'll be able to look back and be like, oh, my grandfather, Scotty, was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. The, he it's the, weird. He, had, I, he was the most, of, he was the most knowledgeable oyster person in the world. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like we're missing out though. I feel like we missed out on the era of taking really grumpy photos. Like I feel like I've been great at like two photos of myself and both of them I'm not smiling in. Like, and that was, that was my legacy, you know? Or the only photo that your family has left is your wedding photo. And it's yeah, just, it's, it's your like great grandfather who's just like super up upset and then his wife is sitting yeah. like <laughs> six or eight meters away from him on a chair i i would absolutely Did everyone have those photos yeah okay i would i was i would actually love it i'm i've sort of debated this i found a place that does it somewhere on like granville street and it's a place that will do portraits and i've wanted to just get portraits done and just get and just give them to everybody <laughs> it's like the old time where you like kind of sit sit nobly off to the side <laughs> and sort of look and like that's a patriarchy and put it right up on top of the my parents uh mantle and stuff i just give it out to everybody cuz patriarchy is not a not a right word i'm i'm very um equal rights so let's not let's not say patriarchy like i'm a bad guy <laughs> okay let's go into Let's talk a little bit about grad school. So you went away to the states uh, on a lacrosse scholarship. I went to school Philly. in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. yeah I played played lacrosse three years down there. Tore my ACL, and at that point in time, I um, I hung it up. It was time to focus on a career. Could have kept playing lacrosse, rehabbed real hard, but uh, uh, there's not a lot of money in lacrosse, <laughs> so I, I focused on I focused on a on a on a career um, that was sort of adjacent. That I unfortunately got a little bit of. I got to spend a little bit of time in this field that was in it was an athletic training athletic therapy uh sports medicine type of stuff and I, I got to do that because because i spent enough time getting my ankles taped and, and rehabbing and <laughs> yeah. sort of the body hurting and, and coming out of it so I, I ended up getting into into that side of things in in school so people that didn't play university athletics don't understand how much time university university athletes actually spend in the training room yeah like i i went away for a year to to the states and i was in i was in physio probably two hours a day yeah five days a week yeah 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 so and that's um i mean on top of that it's it's not when you get to that level they expect you to be the best that you can be Mm -hmm. and um so i would you would you would lift and then you'd go to treatment and then you do practice and then there'd be treatment and then you might have film or a scouting report that you were supposed to look at so I mean, it takes up a lot of time. It's a lot of time and commitment that people. Everybody sees it on the field, and they, they even it even gets um, skewed in, in the sports medicine side of, of of like athletic training, athletic therapy. Is they see you on the field, and it's sexy. Yeah, it's what you do. You come in, you warm mm-hmm. up, people, and it's beautiful, and you're competitive, and you score a goal, or you or you, you knock somebody on their ass, and and there's something beautiful to be said about that. Um, but what they don't see is they don't they don't see those hours where you're getting treatment uh, for the athletic therapist for every hour. You're on the field. There's two of treatment, and then there's four of paperwork. Yeah. So, I mean that 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 made it a very difficult. It's a very paperwork heavy that people don't see. It's not so sexy when you're doing it when you're up at eight in the morning making sure all of your all your paperwork's done. Yeah. So, it's I find that it's a pretty natural progression for a lot of athletes to go into sports medicine afterwards. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's it's sort of the guys who. <laughs> The guys who can't give it up, you yeah, know, that's one exactly, way of saying it exactly. is, is for me, I, I couldn't give it up. Um, I want to be out in the field. I, I, I miss, I still miss the, since I've been out of, of sports medicine, I miss that, that atmosphere. And it was weird because in sports medicine, you don't get excited. You can't get excited. Uh, people often came up to say, you, you look like you're not having a good time. So I'm having a great time. Well, you don't look like it. And I don't look like it because I'm, 
I had to be stoic. I had to think. Exactly. Um, because if I got excited and something happened, I'd be really excited and I'd screw up somebody's health, right? <laughs> so I, I had to keep an even keel the entire time in case somebody hurt themselves. So that when I came to that situation, it was, okay, let's take a step back and see. Let's make sure we're doing everything right. Let's think logically about how to fix them. So so you you went to grad school. Yep. You stayed in Philly. Is that right? Uh, I did. Uh, grad school in Philadelphia, yeah. Okay. So I went, I went to Temple University for grad school. Um, which is great. I worked with, uh, I did a little bit with football and then I worked with men's and women's gymnastics, um, which was fantastic. Men's and women's gymnastics was one of the most eye-opening things for me because they always used to say, if you can work football, you can work anything. And then you work with these, um, you work with these uh, 18 to 21-year-old athletes, half of whom were female, female um, gymnastics competitors who... We're probably a couple of years past their prime. I mean, you sort of peak around sixteen to eighteen, really, and I'm getting them towards the end of their sport. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're they're their best when they when they when they look like uh, when they look like um, well, they don't look like women, you know. When they when they're very before they start developing, that's when that's when they're their prime, and 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 you see when they start becoming women, how, how the physics changes completely. Same thing with the men. I mean, lucky enough for the men, the men just get bigger and stronger, so it's easier to hold yourself on rings. But the women, there's just changes that, that throws off the way that they're able to 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 throw the body around um, and the, the type of physics and the forces that are put on it, right? I've had athletes who are about my height, female athletes are about my height, and it doesn't work, you know? Like the, the amount of the amount of... G forces on, on on a giant over over the high bars is, is astronomically different. So when I got into that, it was it was like working football. It was the same amount of danger, if not more danger, because an inch can literally mean um, being paralyzed or not. I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of times I've I've seen something happen. Now, yeah, you get you get pretty uh, callous to it, I guess, where you see an injury, you see the something happen. You don't even fail. He doesn't even flinch anymore. But the first time you go up there and you see these kids, you see them falling. You're like, "What the fuck am I getting myself into?" You know, it's like this. This kid's falling here, and that kid's falling there, and this kid's arm twisted three quarters of the way around, and they all get up and they're fine. Yeah, this isn't too bad. <laughs> and then you realize that you can see the way that they almost release off a bar, or they they hit the vault, or um, they hit the floor, or any of the things that they do. Uh, the way they, they sort of they sort of jump off the beam, you can tell. Um, whether they're going to be safe or not, and it, it's it's pretty incredible to get to that point where you can see it before it happens, and that was fun. How did you uh, weasel your way into that field? I feel like gymnast like gymnastics is something that is never ever on TV. Well, or once, every, once every four years, exactly. Yeah, but then the Olympics comes on, and I'm cap, I'm captivated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching gymnastics all the time. So it I'm was like planning my day around. Okay, like <laughs> it the was women's team finals at 8 p.m. I need to be home, or you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it was. It was that one was by accident. We talked a little bit before before this started about how things happen by accident. That was one of the ones that happened by accident for me. Is I applied to Temple University, and I wanted I wanted to work football. My goal was to work. Football. I was going to be a football guy. I had just come off a uh, internship with the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's why we we talked about it. I did an internship so with cool. with the Chiefs. Um, so I was like, I'm going to be a football guy. I, I'm only going to work football. That's my sport. I'm going to work for the NFL. I'm going to find a job. And I'm uh, uh, uh. and um, I got to I got my my assignment is I'll work football in the summer uh, for a training camp, and then you're going to work with men's gymnastics. And I threw myself a little bit of a temper tantrum. 
call my dad. I said, fuck this. I'm not going to this school. This is bullshit. And, and I, I cursed and yelled and punched my steering wheel and all that kind of stuff. And then he goes, all right, you're done. And, uh, and I took a step back and I thought about it. I was like, well, you know what? I can learn a lot. I can learn a lot. For There's sure. something I, I will not get experience with again. Um, so I reluctantly took it. And uh, it was the most eye-opening, incredible experience I could have had. Uh, it was it was everything I loved about football with increased danger. And the psychology side, the psychological side of dealing with some of these athletes um, was an added element because they're crazy. Individual sport athletes are nuts. <laughs> I mean, have you ever met uh, golfers? You, you, you're a golfer. I mean, that, that what they say, the, the, the hole between your ears is the hardest hole. I mean, the four <laughs> inches between your ears is the hardest hole you'll ever play. Um, and then uh, same thing, tennis players are nuts. Um, uh, track and field guys, they, if, they're, if they're individual, even, even the specialists in football are goalies, the guys who are always by themselves, yeah. they're all weirdos. Like it's, there's no, you can't, you can't, yeah. um, you can't argue that you, you meet one of them and they, who's going to stand in front of a, of a, like a 90 mile an hour slap shot, but like a, somebody who's crazy, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, there's, there's definitely a psychological side cause it, it was a team sport with gymnastics, but it's also very much a, uh, an individual sport performing You're, individually. Yeah. 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 Uh, towards the team. But at the end of the day, I mean, they still, they still have individual, um, medals for mm-hmm. for different events so so i sort of fell into that and it was it was the most incredible the best experience i think i could have had in in grad school as a, as a graduate assistant was to was to work with men's and women's gymnastics and anybody anybody who says oh you don't know what scott talking about football is the hardest one bullshit give gymnastics a try work two years <laughs> with college gymnastics and then tell me that football is the hardest thing you've ever done because i've done i've, I've worked football in, in high school college and um i'm professional and I've worked gymnastics with college. I don't want to work gymnastics with college again. <laughs> it was it was two years of me pulling my hair out. Like I definitely really? I definitely aged. I aged like a president over two years, you know. <laughs> so um, so yeah, it was it was stressful. It was a lot of work, but it was one of the most rewarding ones because they they were also the ones who appreciate it more. Like uh, the professional guys appreciate what you do for them because you're getting them on the field. You're making them a paycheck. Uh, the 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 college guys almost have this air of hey man you're here to take care of me you know and mm-hmm. then but you work with you work with the people uh, the men and women in gymnastics and they they realize what you're doing for them they're smart they're they're a smart group of kids they're they're coming from usually a little bit higher socioeconomic background just because it is expensive yeah um and they realize what you're doing for them so there's a, a lot more I think satisfaction from working with with gymnastics which is kind of cool. Do I get on a completely different tangent and bore everybody who listens? But yeah, no, very cool. I, well, whatever. It's my show, so I get yeah, to decide yeah. where this conversation goes. And I love watching gymnastics at the Olympics, and so I'm super excited to hear yeah. the behind the scenes yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's cool. I actually, I, I got to meet, um, I got to meet a, a couple of the of the men um, on the gymnastics teams. Um, they did. Uh, you were in the states. So you were you were like basically training. Or what university was that? Temple? Uh, Temple. Temple University. I was in, I was in Philly. Yeah, Temple. So I don't like, know anything uh, about the university gymnastics reign. Like, yeah. Is that a good school for gymnastics? No. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it was. It was. It is and it isn't, right? So yeah. in, in the big picture, they were good. Yeah. Um, in the, if you're looking at, at women's gymnastics, I mean, it's like every other sport. SEC sort of reigns king. 
right? Mm-hmm. You have you have Alabama's always good, and and um, you have like a was it a Michigan? Some of the, the schools up there are pretty good, and, and Nebraska and uh, UCLA. I think it's Miami. I'm, I'm probably if anybody if there's any gymnasts listening, I'm sure they're like, oh man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about gymnastics. <laughs> but but it's been so long since I've yeah. done it. Let's let's give me a, let's cut me some slack here. It's been yeah. at least about four or five six six years, seven years since I've worked gymnastics. Um, but okay, so most of the like top end gymnasts in the world are between like what sixteen and nineteen. Uh, generally speaking, um, I mean, you you've got a couple, you got a couple of these women who are going to get up, get up to twenty two, twenty four, and are still able to do it. But okay. I mean, it becomes it becomes uh, like we 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 look at with another with a bunch of other sports is uh, how are you built genetically, right? If you're able to stay small, you you you're petite to begin with. Mm. It's going to be a little bit easier than if you you hit right. nineteen, you, you grow a foot, right? And and you you start developing hips or shoulders get broader or anything along those lines. So there's there's that that comes into play. It's interesting. It's an interesting sport now. I'm thinking about it because most in most big sports anyway, most team sports, college is kind of like a catapult into a professional realm like if you do really well in college you're going to play in the nba or like or the nfl or the mlb or whatever right yeah i think i think it's a goal for gymnastics the prime seems younger than college yeah yeah well i mean and you're you're usually id'd for that my understanding is if i'm talking to to the to the gymnast is you're id'd at a very young age yeah and then um what that is like like yeah, well, I think the pre- the pressure. What's the identification pretty... like when you're like 12, though? But well, that, that is becomes... it just your dad sending home videos off his phone? I, I don't, I don't know. I was never part of that. I'm yeah. very happy I wasn't part of. It. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think that that's that, that's where we that's where we get into that. Uh... It's a little disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that that's where that's where we start running into some of these these psychological issues that I was yeah. doing with the other side of things. And so, I mean, mental health was always huge for me when I was working in sports medicine because it's one thing to to heal the body. It's another thing to to get the mind right mm-hmm. get the mind back into being able to play sports to getting the mind to you know i know you hurt yourself i know you gave yourself a concussion you dislocated a shoulder you broke a, an ankle uh doing this skill it's going to be okay your body trust trust your body trust me that mm-hmm. i'm that i'm trusting your body and it, that was a, the the weird part of, of gymnastics and then there's a whole other side of psychology that in sports that we can that we could get into but um we'll sort of save that for it's fascinating to me. if we want to, because so much of sports is mental. And yeah, that, that fascinates me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're not, if your mind's not right, and I'm talking a lot about about um, individual sports, but team sports are the same way. If, mm-hmm. if your mind's not right in team sports, I, uh, there's an article that just came out about Carson Wentz. I was one of the selfish guys in the in the uh, in the locker room, on on the field and stuff. He's well liked, but he's incredibly selfish as a quarterback. And uh, you look at guys like, and, and whether or not that's true or not, I just I just read that. Um, uh, before I got here. And um, so I'm looking at that and uh, you compare that to Terrell Owens or, mm-hmm. or Ocho Cinco or some of these, <laughs> these guys who are, who are quote unquote cancers on teams. Um, but then you have guys that like Tom Brady who are university. I mean, I hate watching Phillip Rivers. I mean, I feel like every time he gets up, he looks like he's about to cry or whine about yeah. something. But the guys love him. Everybody loves him. So who, who am I as some guy who's sitting on my couch? Oh, fuck Philip Rivers. <laughs> you know? And I think there's something to be said about getting your mind right and being able to step out on that field. And, and the difference between being a leader versus um, 
versus not, or 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 knowing to do just your role, or, or the guy who wants to pump up the team, or the guy versus the guy who's not. There's there's a lot of uh, I think psycho uh, psychology involved in that as well. So, <laughs> this is me assuming something, but I feel like a lot of people in the sports medicine field, their dream job is to work with like a professional team, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean, when you start out. Uh, it takes you realize pretty quickly on that there is a that there's a business side to it sure and the business side doesn't always mean satisfaction or or happiness it takes a special sort <laughs> i'll say it takes a special sort of idiot to be able to go in <laughs> and and do it over and over and over and over again right sure. when i was working in Kansas City i was working for a guy who had been in the league for 30 years he was a, he's a hall of famer if if athletic trainers made it into the hall of fame he'd be one of <laughs> he'd be one of the ones who who made it for sure um old school real old school guy and we were working 18 hour days we worked 18 hour days 7 days a week my shortest day was 16 hours my longest day was 23 and a half hours and it was that was just the way the job worked um and that's not that's not ideal for a lot of people a lot of people like the collegiate atmosphere uh, division 1 division 2 division 3 a lot of people like high school cuz high school you get to to form and develop these kids and you get to work with a completely different population than you do in the pros so there's pros and cons to each level it's um, a different pressure too right yeah Spurning. i mean yes no i mean if you work if you're working for a for a high school prep school where the kids mm-hmm. are looking for division 1 contracts or division 1 scholarships i should say um there's there's a different pressure there right and and you're dealing with a completely different mentality too cuz in high school, if you tell a kid he's not playing, you could potentially have mom, dad screaming, like, oh, "What the hell do you know? I'm going to go get a doctor's note." I'm gonna... And so there's a lot of that as well. So there's different types of pressure, and I, I can't say like I was definitely geared towards professional Division One type athletics. I like dealing with the elite athletes, um, and I also really enjoyed dealing with sports where if you you the, the the greater the chance of catastrophic injury was where I felt the most comfortable, you know, and that sounds, that sounds terrible, but I loved the idea of being able to go out there and potentially dealing with somebody who has a spinal injury or a commotion cordis, like a, which would be like a cardiac arrest type situation or something along those lines. That, that's what got me excited to get up and, and to be, not because I wanted it to happen, mm-hmm. but because I was confident in, my abilities to be the best person in that situation at that time to make sure that the best things happen for that kid. Sure. So that was sort of the way that I saw it. How does uh, how does the Kansas City Chiefs opportunity come up? I, so it's funny. I didn't I, I didn't apply to the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> I applied to a bunch of different teams around the league, and my mentor so um, is this pre um, pre grad school, school? pre grad okay. school. Yeah. So this was in 2010. I was there in 2010 with Todd Haley was the head coach. Romeo Cornell and Charlie Weiss were the offensive defense coordinators, uh, which was a blast. Like two of the biggest characters in football history <laughs> on the field at the same time. Charlie Weiss had the role in the rascal because he hurt his knee or something like that. And it was so it was always wild to to be on the field and look over and see Charlie Weiss like running his mouth and then Romy Cannell rocking down the field clapping his ass great day to play football and I'm just like what the hell's going on in my life but anyways yeah I didn't I didn't um I never um I didn't apply to the Chiefs I actually applied to uh probably half the other team I probably about 20 20 um 20 resumes out and uh cover letters and I I didn't send it to the Chiefs. Chiefs are terrible. I didn't want to work for the Chiefs, right? <laughs> and uh the guy the guy who I 
the guy who I one of, one of my mentors, a guy I really respect. I still respect the hell out of him as a as as an athlete trainer. He was a guy I looked up to. I idolized this guy, and uh, I get this letter from Kansas City, being like, "Congratulations, you've been accepted to um, you've accepted an internship with the Kansas City Chiefs." And so I was like, "What the hell is this?" So I turned to him, and he he had worked he had worked uh, with with the guy who was the head athletic trainer in, in Kansas City at the time, uh, Dave Price. Uh, Millsy worked with Dave Price when they were in Philadelphia. They both worked under a guy named Otho Davis, who was a uh, he was the first first athletic trainer to be put in a ballot box for a Hall of Famer for athletic trainer. Old school, good old boy. Some of the the wildest stuff out there. I've heard rumor that he's the reason why there's uh, lock boxes in uh, pharmaceutical cabinets in in the <laughs> NFL. I've heard rumors of that. Um, but uh, he, yeah. So he goes, oh, I. He goes, so what, how's the NFL looking? I said, well, I applied to a couple places. I got a got an interview with a with a couple different couple different cool teams. And he goes, uh, so, but I got this. I got this acceptance letter to the Chiefs. He goes, oh, yeah, that's the one you're taking. I was like, well, what do you mean? I've got these interviews. He goes, no, 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 no. You're going to call them and decline. You're working for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was like, I guess I'm working for the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, packed up, get out to Kansas City. What was the backstory there, though? Why is he saying? Well, because, because he worked, he worked with, uh, he worked yeah. with the head. He, he was the one who called and said, hey, I got this kid. Gotcha. Uh, I think he'd be really good. Uh, I think I think you really like him. I think you're like really working for him or, or uh, him working for you. Uh, he's a hard worker, smart kid. Let's get him in there. And so I, uh, yeah, so I showed up to Kansas City. It was weird because training camp, you never really get to experience the city. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're go, go, go all the time. Like I said, 18-hour days that I I went to get barbecue twice, you know, in, in my four or five months in Kansas City. I guess four months in Kansas City. I, like, and that's a city for barbecue. You know, I, I fell in love with it. Kansas City barbecue is the best barbecue in the world as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, um, but that's also probably a little biased as well. Um, so, yeah, so I showed up there, uh, get to the facility. Facility's gorgeous. I love everything. Start packing up. You get that, that, that rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean? Everything looks beautiful from when you're there. Working with professional athletes, dealing with the personalities. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that was sort of the experience that I had with, with, with the Chiefs. Loved it. Loved every second of it. Did you travel with them? Uh, we got one game. We got one road game and two home games because I was a preseason intern. So I took, a, before the athletes reported to camp, we showed up and we sort of packed stuff up and made sure everything got the way it was. Set up the athletic training room at the um, training facility because we, we did our, our training camp at Missouri Western State University, which is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know why people go there. Missouri State Western? Uh, Missouri Western State University. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it, 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 I, I think they have I a find pretty... that the more words involved in a university name, yeah. the farther in the middle of nowhere it is. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, Nebraska, Omaha, right? That's South, two. Northwestern, <laughs> Eastern yeah, yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Eastern Louisiana, Shreveport, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, so you land. Yeah, you have to land in the airport and then drive another four hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, but I mean, it was it was a blast. I loved I loved it out there. Um, I mean, it was it was one of the most eye opening experiences. I mean, I've been really lucky. I think in the way that that every aspect of my careers have sort of led out. But I had a, I had a blast. Uh, I learned so much, um, and uh, I still actually keep in touch with a couple of the guys that I that I was there with um, athletic trainers that I was there with. It's weird to see these guys now. Some of the guys I worked with who are now retired and seeing them. Um, seeing them like as actors 
and stuff. I'm like, well, I, I knew that guy before he was this cheesy, you know? <laughs> so, but it's, it's pretty cool to, to sit there. And, and I mean, and I'll always be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. They gave me the opportunity in the NFL. Um, the, the Clark, Clark Hunt and the Hunt family are incredible owners. Um, I got to meet him once, which was, I mean, he's one of the most down to earth people you can meet. Um, so it's pretty cool to, to be involved in that and see it from a family standpoint. Which is nice. It, so. it would be pretty cool to see behind the scenes. Yeah. One day I hope to do that with Pete Carroll. He's coming on the show. Yeah. I'm a big Seahawks fan. Fair enough. And so in the very first episode of this podcast, <laughs> we're talking about like Carl. It was just me and Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're talking okay. about goals for the podcast. Yeah. I'm like, I want Pete Carroll on the show. Sure. I love Pete Carroll. Sure. I, I feel like I feel like um that's not that tall of an ask. I feel like he, he's the kind of guy that would just exactly. start, he would just stroll up and sit down and be like, what are we talking about today? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just keep keep nagging. Just keep sending emails. Pete.c at seahawks.com And he's such a charismatic, like, entertaining guy, too, yeah. in interviews. Oh, yeah. You see guys like uh, Belichick and uh, even Andy Reid is oh, shitty. Andy Reed. well, um, uh, uh, it's yeah. all one word. One word <laughs> monotone answers. <laughs> like. my, my, favorite, my favorite for coaching interviews is the NHL. Yeah. Like, because those guys are just dead panning into, oh, we got to work better on that. Yeah. Uh, four checks got to be better. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, just, we, just didn't play, we just didn't play right. Yeah. We got to get better. It's almost boring. You're going to lull me into not caring. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's the genius of being a hockey coach. You just lull them. Nobody cares anymore. I was watching a post-game interview of Belichick yesterday, and they're like, what do you think of Tom Brady? And he's like, yeah, he's, he, you know, he's, 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 he's a great quarterback. <laughs> That's it. You're like, uh, okay. Yeah. And then someone's like, "He's not uh, wrong, though. He's not wrong." Yeah. <laughs> you see, they're like, "What do you expect from the Rams in uh, two weeks?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, they're 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 a great team." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. the point of this interview? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been there's been some good ones. Um, yeah, I, I love I love watching stuff like that because because you know you know what's going on in his mind, right? And he's uh, the amount of times you've seen like it's like the whole um, Marshawn Lynch thing, right? I'm only here so I don't pay a fine. You know? <laughs> he's just, they're just kind of there because they have to be. He's like, yeah, great great quarterback, yeah, great team, yeah, yeah, okay. Do you yeah, remember no, back? We, 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 what's that? Do you remember back to when you were a kid? Not no. And <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but you're watching. You're watch. I watched a lot of sports as a kid. Yeah, a lot of basketball. Yeah. NFL too, but like you'd see the post game interviews, and no matter how dumb the responses were, you're just like, oh, that guy's the man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I right? still, like, I'll Mar- still like do a that. Marshall Lynch interview. I, I would still like, do that. That is amazing. Whereas right now you're like, I'm way smarter than that guy. <laughs> no, well, that's yeah, but that's a different story, right? Yeah. You can still you can be smarter. You could be you could think you're better than, but that guy's still that guy's still the man. I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, but those Marshall Lynch, they, there was there was a genius, a beauty to what he said, and I loved every second of it. So and good. when you have a guy that does that, I love it. When you like, like I said, we go back, go back to Terrell and Terrell Owens sort of went off the handle. Even still, <laughs> I mean, he throws, a, throws, a hissy, throws a hissy fit because he didn't make the first. He wasn't a first ballot um, Hall of Famer. Yeah. And I'm not going to show up. Oh man. This great you know do you remember his interview in his driveway not wearing a shirt doing bicep curls and sit-ups yeah. while he's getting interviewed yeah. oh yeah yeah that's fantastic <laughs> I, my, I think my favorite my favorite quote i, I do it all that i say it all the time i think it's stolen from marshall lynch where we we're talking i think it's a how are you gonna pay for all the fines i think it's marshall's a straight cash homie <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. So when people when people talk to me, so how do you want to pay a straight cash, homie? <laughs> it doesn't matter what I buy. A pack of gum at Seven Eleven, straight cash, homie. <laughs> you go buying a thousand dollars of the oysters for an event, straight cash, homie. They know I actually put it on my card. <laughs> I don't have that. Okay, let's fast forward. Yeah. Outside of uh, university. Yep. Come back to Vancouver. 
How do you get into the re- restaurant industry? So from, we're uh, not we're not back in Vancouver med. yet. Okay. So after grad school, I moved down to Washington D.C. and I take uh, I work at a, a university down there, and uh, in sports med. In sports medicine, yeah. yeah. And my circle of friends are friends of friends from Vancouver, and we just hit it off down there. We were actually some, they're my best friends now. Um, and uh, they have friends who, uh, the head chef and the, uh, the assistant GM of a raw bar. And so it's Thanksgiving down there. They they bring some oyster. Hey, Scott, do you want to know how to shuck an oyster? And, yeah. So I can say I've shucked an oyster. You know, it's just one, one other thing I can say I've so done. The, so hold on. I just want to make sure that these... Historical facts are correct. Yeah. At, at this point in your life, you've never shucked an oyster. I've never shucked an oyster. And you were post-grad school, so I'm saying you're going to be like 24? Uh, post-grad school, so I don't know, 20, 26? 26, okay. Yeah, because I, I did two bachelor degrees. Okay. So yeah, I was about 26, 27 years old, I shucked an oyster, shucked my first oyster. That's two more than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so I shucked, I shucked my oyster. I shucked an oyster, and they were like, hey, it's, you're not bad at this. So a year goes by, another Thanksgiving, and they're like, have you been practicing? I'm like, no, you're pretty good. <laughs> and what's more important to oyster shucking than the ability to be able to open an oyster is the ability to be able to talk to a wall and have a good time, right? It's the personality behind the bar that's more important. And so I was like, well, yeah, I'll come out. And they said, you should come out and try to and try to uh, see, if, see if you like it. So I came out and I worked uh, my first shift. It's like a Tuesday, Tuesday happy hour. And I shuck it next to the head shucker and start doing it. And I put one oyster down for his 12. You know, I mean? I'm not helping. I'm probably hurting it more than I'm helping. But it's slow, so who cares? And then... I started doing more and more shifts. I started picking up more and more shifts. I started wanting to do more and more and more and more and more. And uh, I got quicker and I started watching. I Like I did with sport, you watch videos. I watched videos of other guys who were, who were championship shuckers and watched how they shucked. And, and uh, I sort of picked it up and I kept practicing and started doing it until it became, I was the one who was doing the, the dozen oysters for somebody else's one. And it became, I, lo- I love this. I love, I love to be able, I love, First thing I loved was not having to tell people bad news. You know, hey, sorry, your ACL's torn, your season's over. <laughs> I went yeah. from that to being like, yeah, let's have drinks and eat some oysters, guys. <laughs> and um, I, I really love the place I worked for. I worked for the Rappahannock Oyster Company uh, down in Washington, D.C. They're, they're out of Virginia. And I loved the, the people that I worked with had such a passion for what they did. There was such a pride in, in the food that they were putting out and the specials that they were putting out that it really appealed to me. That was where we get to that competition where these guys... They did something great. They weren't going to rest. They they, were, they weren't going to rest. They were they were going to make better. What what's the next thing that we can do? How can we make it better? I uh, the head chef would come out with this dish, and he'd be like, "It's good, but it can be better." And everybody else would be having like, this most great, this is the greatest thing I've ever had in my mm-hmm. entire life. I love this. This is the best food. Um, and so uh, so I worked for them for a long time, and then visa expired, so I came back to Vancouver and uh, started working part time at a restaurant. Um, so I worked part time at a restaurant and I worked construction cause I did that in, in school. I painted walls. Um, and then it became, got out of construction. There's a little bit of a hiatus in, in construction. So I started shucking full time and then I learned how to bartend and everything sort of progressed from there where, uh, I loved, I became a, comp- a competition shucker and, uh, started doing that. And first one, first, first competition, shit the bed, just Completely shit the bed, fucked everything up. Forgot how to shuck an oyster while I was up there. <laughs> and then um, and then it's sort of like it progress, you get a little bit more comfortable, nerves do more and more and more, and you get a little bit more successful running raw bars and doing going from doing 
like one oyster for the guys 12 to being the guy who does a majority of a 600 to 1000 oyster happy hour like that was that was where i was happy so you get this white out and you're in the shit and there's 300 oysters that need to come out and you're just head down blasting oysters and it, it was fun and that sort of became that other side of the competition it was one not only how do i sh- how, how am i not the best at where i am right now how am i not the best shucker for the location i'm at i want to be the best shucker in the city i want to be the best shucker in the west coast canada whatever regardless of if that's true or not that's that's the the what i aspire to hopefully one day eventually and if there's any other shuckers listening they're gonna oh, i'm gonna get text lighting my phone up hey, i heard what you said you idiot come after me now and but that's the meathead that's the meatheadedness of oyster because a lot of oyster shuckers were athletes at some point in time it's some some degree a lot of them were a lot of hockey players from back east um uh, down the down the eastern parts of the United States, a lot of lacrosse players or football players, these guys, oh, shuck some oysters, it's fun, you know, free beer at the end of the night. But um, so yeah, so that became sort of sort of where it was, and I eventually got to the point where um, I sat down and I thought about the way the the culinary world works, and you had a lot of chefs who who would brand themselves, and they branded themselves as um, they, well, they, they themselves were the brand. So they, they built restaurants off of what they did. And, and there's whole personas, even bartenders. We have a lot of bartenders who became public um, public figures based mm-hmm. off of what they can do. I mean, you've got guys who, who do that, that flair bartending or guys who are making, or who are mixologists who are doing some of those incredible things. And you can go, if you're in the know, uh, as, as a patron, you say, I'm going to go to so-and-so's restaurant. Oh my God, I heard he's great. And it becomes a household name. And for me, there's enough there's enough in oysters that there's no reason why an oyster shucker couldn't couldn't do that either. Why can't the oyster shucker be be an, an entity like a bartender, like a, like a chef? Because what we do is so specialized that if you get to that point, um, if, if you're if you're a good shucker, why not be able to to brand yourself? And so that's what the idea of of Big Shucker came out. And originally, it was just going to be oh, I'm just going to hang out and be a be a public figure for oysters and then it was like no let's let's see what we can do and that's when the idea of of um doing a traveling raw bar sort of came about was let's do a little bit for myself where where did your knowledge of the oyster come in you shucked your first oyster age 26 how do you go from that to being like one of the most knowledgeable people in the country about oysters? Uh, it's a lot of research, and I don't, I don't. That's a, that's a tricky. I, there's a lot of guys who know a lot about oysters. I think I don't think that what I, I didn't know say is, you were is the my, most knowledgeable. One of the, although yeah. you're probably my favorite. Yeah. That is in I'll that list. That. I'll take that. I'll take that then. <laughs> no, um, so uh, there's a lot of nerds. There's a lot of nerds out there, and it's the same thing when you get when you for oysters as it is for anything. Uh, you have guys who will figure out will read books or I guess write books first so that other guys can read books. And, and I made trips to oyster farms. I went to trips, uh, oyster farms down in the States. I meet the farmers, talk to the farmers, always ask questions. Um, going back to that comment, that's that wanting to be better is, is for me, wasn't just, okay, what's the best oyster shucker, but how do I make these oysters? Um, how do I put them in the, in, the, in the spotlight? How do I say this isn't an oyster isn't just an oyster? And so it became a lot of reading, a lot of talking to people, a lot of having conversations, trying to figure out, trying to constantly learn more and more and more and more about how oysters are, what they are, how to make them better. Or I don't know how to make them better, but but how to present them better, how to tell people. And part of what I love about oyster shucking is when people come up and say, oh, I don't like oysters. Well, why don't you like oysters? Well, I had bad oysters. Well, okay, well, 
or, or not even I have bad oysters. I don't like the, the, the I don't like they're slimy. You know, they like they like mangoes. Well, yeah, it was like an over texture of an overripe mango. No, it's not. So, or avocado. Well, no, it's not. I said, well, yes, it is. It's like a, it's like a slimy. It's not a slimy. It's a salty version of that. It's a wet, salty version of that. I'm like, no way. And then they have it. Like, oh my god, this is incredible. So, I can't do that without first being able to say, this is the anatomy of an oyster, which I think comes from the, the sports medicine background. This is the anatomy of an oyster. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And um, and this is what's going to happen if I learn the anatomy of the oyster, how they're farmed, why they're farmed, what maroir is versus terroir, and maroir meaning in oysters. And, and then how does that affect your experience as a consumer on how you, and how you take these oysters in? So there was, there was a logical chain for me to sit there and say, here's A, here's B. How do I fill in what's in between? Mm-hmm. And how do, I, how do I cater that for the expert lover? How do I cater that to the novice? And how do I get to, uh, cater that for the person who hates oysters? Can we get somebody who hates oysters to potentially like oysters? So it drove me into doing a lot of research, a lot of conversation, a lot of talking to people, um, asking questions. I mean, what was uh, when I was in sports medicine, and even now, when, when if people come in and when I was in the restaurant and asking me a question or, or somebody new in the industry is, hey, listen, you're going to fuck up. You're going to make mistakes. Do it. Make mistakes. What's the worst that can happen? Right. I'm when I was doing sports medicine, when I was talking to students, make mistakes because I'm here to, to, to stop anything bad from happening in the restaurant industry. What's the worst that can happen? Somebody doesn't get their food right. You know, it's, it's not it's not the end of the world. You know, I guess you can argue, uh, oh, well, they might get something that they're to. Okay, well, fair enough. But the chances of that happening are pretty low. You know, make mistakes. If they're ordering oysters, they probably know they're not allergic to shellfish. You, you'd be surprised. You'd be really? surprised. The amount, of people, <laughs> the amount of people who come into the restaurant, they're like, uh, like oh, yeah, I said, well, can I get you anything? No, no, I'm okay. I'm just here with, with my, my partner or my, my friend or whatever it may be. And, uh, oh, okay, I'm actually allergic to oysters. Why are you here? Like why? Why are they such an asshole that they're bringing you <laughs> to to the place where you could die? Newsflash: Your partner yeah, doesn't yeah, want yeah, you yeah. around anymore. Yeah, it's like a re- really nice one to bring you to the place where you could die. You could, you could choke. Your throat could close up because of the uh, the, the allergens that are in the room. So that's yeah. real cool. So I mean, I always say, "Well, do you have your your EpiPen on you?" Well, no. Get out of here. Like, you're not even welcome here. Just go home. You need to leave. Yeah. We've kicked people out for that. I've kicked people out. It's, just, it's not worth it. Get out of here. It's not worth it. So go get your EpiPen. Come back. I think you and I think similarly in the way that when I started my career in real estate, of course, people are asking me questions that I don't know. But I early on learned that I wanted to be the guy that whenever someone asked me a question, I gave them so much useful information that they didn't have any more questions. And that's the way that I thought about it in my head. So like r- relaying it back to your industry, someone asks you like, you know, what's the proper way to eat an oyster or whatever. Yeah. You give them, you, your answer is so thorough that they're just like, holy shit. Yeah. It takes yeah. them like five or six <laughs> yeah. minutes to actually comprehend yeah. what you're saying. And so they don't have any more questions because you've given them so much useful information. So that's the way that I thought about it in my industry is that I wanted to know so much about real estate construction, design, all of that. Yeah. That when somebody asks me a question, I just give them so much information that they don't have any more questions. Yeah, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. It's um, it's how how was the oyster farmed? What does it come from? What makes it? What makes an oyster an oyster? Mm-hmm. And you have those answers. It's, it's, like they said, what's what's the design? What's the construction? What's the benefits? What's the what's the what's the the, the cost or whatever? I don't 
fucking know what you do. Um, what's, <laughs> what's on either side of, 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 of this? Um, how, and, and that's, uh, when you have the answers, it, it's funny. I, I like, I still like it when people come up and well, and they, they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And I'll sit there. I'll be shutting it's a good question. I, I don't know. Like I'll, I'll find out. Next time you see me, I'll have an answer for you. Yeah. I just hope they never see me again. <laughs> <laughs> I've given them enough booze to that point in time. That's a question they only ask once and they never ask again. But no, yeah, it's, so it's, it's uh, I think to have the answers, especially, I mean, I think, I think we're, <laughs> with a very broad stroke, uh, we're, we're dealing with fears, I think both you and I. Yours is a fear of making a commitment. Um, either from a money standpoint or a or a, a timing standpoint, and mine's the fear of so, of something icky, you yeah. know. So so very strong. Like, and how do we how do we take that fear away from people and say, you know, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. This is better than you think it's going to be. So I think I think that's part of it. And then we, we can't we can't make that we can't make those broads where we can't we can't reassure people if we don't know. So yeah. I think it was the second time I met you. Okay. At Fanny Bay. Okay. I think it maybe third. I'd only met you a couple times. And it was really just like an introduction. Yeah. It was Alex being like, hey, this is Scotty yeah, Wolf. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, is his last name actually Wolf? Yeah. He's like, no, yeah. it's not. No, that was, wasn't that, a, I think Scotty Wolf was an actor too, wasn't it? Back in like the, the late 90s there. I think that's where, where it might have come from. I don't know though. So Fanny Bay, we come in with like a group of eight dudes. Yep. It's our whiskey night. Yep. We go have a bunch of. Actually, the server recommended this Weller whiskey, which was phenomenal. Yeah, Mikey, I sent Mikey over there to take care of you guys, um, and I told him, I told him, uh, so they're normally into scotch, they're here, uh, I'm the one, at that point in time, I was the one who making a lot of decisions for the bar. I said, these guys have had all the scotch that's on the bar, Talisker 10 and um, uh, Bowmore and all that kind of stuff, and I said, I don't think they're bourbon guys. So yeah, he came over and said, sell them, sell them on Weller's, and so... I mean, I, I love, like, I came over right after that. I was like, well, this is my, I've got, I, I every time I go to a liquor store, I buy another bottle, buy another bottle. And I think it's gone up 50 cents since I've told you that. So <laughs> my investment, my investments are paying off. But, <laughs> but it's just like, uh, what, what is Weller's? Do you know? Weller's is a bourbon. I, I believe uh, the, what I was told is a Weller Reserve. Um, I think it's in it Willer LaRue, W.L. Weller, Willer LaRue Weller. Well, William LaRue Weller would be better. I wasn't. Both first and last name wasn't Weller. Um, but William LaRue Weller, I think is his name. And the story I was told um, was that it's the it's the bourbon that doesn't make it into the pappy casks. So it's the same bourbon. It just doesn't go into the casks that are earmarked for Pappy Van Winkle. It's the stuff that goes becomes Weller. Now, that's what I was told. I found more. So it's not aged? Oh, it is aged. Yeah, it's got to be aged. So it just goes into it goes into different barrels. It doesn't go into the same barrels. So, um, like bourbon, bourbon has to be. Uh, I think it's uh, virgin oak. Okay. Uh, virgin oak, I believe, for bourbon. Fifty-one uh, percent corn mash, I believe. There's all these little things in it um, that make it bourbon compared to American whiskey or Tennessee whiskey or. Scotch, uh, whatever it is, the, yeah. all the all the whole whiskey family, what makes it bourbon? Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely aged. It's just 
done differently. You know what I mean? And and Will Weller is like I said, it's an incredibly smooth, great bourbon that people just haven't found out about. She probably should cut this out completely so that there's more on the shelves for us. <laughs> let's not talk about Weller in the it's podcast. Hard to find. It is. It's after getting, that night. I went to three liquor stores to try to find it. Yeah, none of them had it. Yeah, it, it's it's weird because you'll go to a liquor store and you'll see that they've got three different types of it. Well, well they had it earlier that day, but Scotty was in there earlier yeah. that day and bought all six bottles yeah, that they had. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, I basically have, a, a, I think at this point in time, it's a Weller, a Weller bar. I think <laughs> if people from, from Weller are listening, I, the, I forgot, I don't know who owns it, Buffalo Trace, Centauri Beam, I'm not sure. But if you're listening, I, I, uh, I'm a great band, brand ambassador for, uh, for Weller. So. Scotty's on speed dial with like BCLC. <laughs> and as soon as they get a case in, they're calling Scotty yeah. and be like, hey, we got yeah. 12. Do you want them? He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then come 30 by, seconds yeah. later, he's posting them on Amazon for like 80 bucks because they're, what, what are no, they, 50? No, 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 there's not a market. They're, they're, they're available. No, I'm not doing that kind of stuff. I'm not, one day, hopefully, they bump up. If they, if they increase by 100%, my, I'm, it's worth it. But if I don't drink it before then, so, but yeah, so that so, was. Okay, what I was getting at though is the day that we went to Fanny Bay, just the, it was, it was really cool to see. Because I love people that are passionate about what they do, but it was cool to see how passionate and excited you were to be able to explain the entire oyster experience to us. Because yeah. for me coming in, I don't know if I told you this, I'd had oysters once in my life before that. Okay. And it was at a uh, place in Kits on Chewy's. Yep. Correct. Yep. So they were good oysters, right? there. Right? Oh, yeah. Chewy's is great. I, I do. I love the, I love the Chewy's guys. Um, I, I know the Chewy guys well. I, uh, I actually judged one of their shucking competitions. So I love Chewy's. But I had no explanation. And coming in brand new, I didn't know what the hell. Like, to me, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a slimy, salty thing. Yeah. So to hear your, like, excited, passionate explanation of an oyster yeah. was so cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun. It's, 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 it's difficult not to, for me not to get excited about that. Like, if we talk about being a nerd and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and oysters, oysters are the things that I find, uh, I mean, there's a, I think a lot that I find exciting. I think I'm very excitable. Maybe that'll be the fourth thing I am is excitable um, <laughs> to tie it back to the very beginning. Um, but there's a lot of things that, that I, that I get excited for. I, that I genuinely enjoy, um, and oysters is definitely one of them. I mean, it's, it became a passion over the course of like five years of me. Now I'm, I love oysters. They're the, the, the single most important business decision I've ever made. And, um, and I think it's, it's easy to, to get lost in that. It's easy to, it's easy to sit there and say, uh, and get excited and tell people. And, and when people hear me get excited, they get excited about it too. So it's sort of a, a happy coincidence of being that, that excited guy talking about how special oysters are. So, yeah. And I think, yeah, like we talked about, before, to, to sit there and say, uh, to, to explain it debunks a lot of those myths. And when people don't have, when people don't have an excuse anymore, you take away all their excuses. Like, I'm not going to do this because it's slimy. Well, it's not slimy. It's, you're going to taste the salt. Uh, well, I don't like the texture. It's like snot. Well, no, it's actually like an overripe mango or avocado. No, it's not. I'll give it a try. Um, I don't <laughs> like it because it's, it's like, one of the funniest things is uh, when I was in D.C., I used to have a, a group of people who were vegan um, come in and eat oysters. No central nervous system, no real uh, three-chambered heart that pumps blood around. It basically just helps with filtration and stuff like that. And they would come in and they have oysters. Vegans will eat oysters. The, this is where or so, this group of vegans. Really yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> apparently, apparently, it splits the vegan community. Interesting. So, okay. so every time somebody came by and um, would start talking to me about about, uh, well, I don't, eat, I don't eat them. I'm vegetarian. I said, well, they're vegan. 
Well, no, they're not. There's no central nervous. Don't feel pain. There's no essence of being. There is no. There's no. There's no soul. There's no like. They're. They are essentially fly traps of the ocean that just eat algae. They go, oh, no, that's not true. And then all of a sudden, every now and then, you have somebody come back. Like, you know what? I did it. You're right. I, these things are vegan. And then you have other people like, you know what? It's not. I did not vegan. They'll never be vegan. Screw you. And What's you their argument third, for not being vegan? They're still creatures. They're still they're still animals. They're alive. Yes, yeah. but I mean, but, but a, plant is, a plant is alive. Listen, man, we could go through a whole. <laughs> this is D- Denny's philosophical yeah. philosophical hour. <laughs> <laughs> we could have it once a week on this. <laughs> Just a round a round table about a send out yeah send out some ideas and bring in a bunch of guys who have no idea what they're talking about who don't observe vegan. Well, we're the best at explaining this. Yeah. So the biggest excuse or complaint to not being vegan was that it's alive yeah so but i mean I, to each their own right I, i'm not i'm not the kind of person who's going to go in yeah, the, yeah, only, the only thing sure. the only thing i don't when i do my catering when i have any aspect of oysters and i will shame people is cocktail sauce i have no cocktail sauce and people i love cocktails i don't care you love cocktails like cocktail sauce is ketchup you're putting ketchup with a mixture of horseradish on a fresh piece of fish if you want to argue about why would you do that you get a lot of people from down south like the gulf the gulf of mexico oysters um tend to be a little bit bigger so if they grow faster in the warmer waters they don't have the time to develop that same flavor profile so you sort of hide it a little bit with cocktail sauce and the way i always used to explain to them so can we get cocktails no well you don't have to be an asshole well but i am an asshole so it helps but anyways I, i would sit there and um we would I would explain to them, I said, listen, you're, where are you from? I'm from Texas. It'd be like me coming into a, a steak restaurant and saying, and saying, hey, can I get HP? Can I get a well, well, a well done steak HP, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and they'd be like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's other people like, you know, I just really like the taste of cocktail sauce. I, I can't argue with that. If you tell me you really like cocktail sauce, sure. You're like, oh, I always, I just, I just have always had it with them. I was like, well, no, let's try it without it. So that's the only time I'm really that that much of a, of a jerk about things I don't want to do with it but yeah it's let's let's listen to what the fears are right and then let's listen to the to the sliminess to the to the it's a creature whatever it may be um and and you've had people like oh well uh I when I put when I put lemon on I saw it quiver it's impossible it doesn't do that it's not it's not a scallop scallops do that but but um oysters don't I swear almost just jumped out of the shell I was like it didn't you know <laughs> and, and to be able to have sort of that conversation and realize that and, and i mean I've, I've shucked hundreds of thousands of oysters and do you have any idea what that number would be so we did a rough estimate we did a rough estimate at one point one of my bosses at fanny base said I, i've shucked about a million i don't think i don't think i'm there yet and that's in five years that's in five years um i think i'm somewhere in just tell us his age six, six 30 he's 31 carl I'm, th- I'm thirty. Just turned thirty-two, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, uh, I, um, yeah. I started. I started shucking, or what? So, so I, th- I think I'm somewhere in like the seven hundred thousand oyster range right now. Is so I got a ways to go, um, but I, yeah, I've I've done a lot of oysters. I've shucked a lot of oysters. Can you? Okay, so Carl, do you like oysters? Fuck Carl. <laughs> so as someone who is uneducated in the oyster world, but has yeah. now had oysters three times in my life, yeah, which is a little bit embarrassing to say, but I'm, I'm like, every time I have them, they're better than they were before. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I'm, my mindset is I'm more excited about them every time. 
I, I think that's probably part of it. I think that you're you're now seeking them out. Yes. Before they were there, now you're like, I, you know what, I want oysters. I was intimidated by them before. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What is the correct way to prepare an oyster <laughs> when you're eating it? The, so, so it's open face. Yeah. It's on the platter of ice. Yeah. It comes to you at your table. You've got six or 12 or whatever around yep. you. You've got all this shit in the middle. Yeah. You've got a hot sauce bottle. You've got horseradish. You've got, you got a lemon. lemon. Yeah, you got mignonette. You've got cocktail sauce, for argument's sake. You got all these things. You got maybe different types of, of no. Fuck cocktail sauce. All right, we'll we, take, we we'll about take that. that off the plate. Um, <laughs> what's the right way to? So, and there, there is no right or wrong way. It's how it's however you enjoy it, and that's that's I think where you get that pretentiousness taken away. Um, that pretentiousness of, of French cuisine, almost yeah. like this is this is the only way you can do it. For me, it's however you like it. Like people ask me, what's what's the best thing to pair with with oysters when you're drinking? I, Whatever you like, to be honest, as long as there's a percentage on the bottle, we're cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, because you have that traditional uh, white wine and oysters or, or champagne bubbles. Bubbles and oysters um, are, are the classic pairings. But there's nothing wrong with, with going down to the beach with a couple beer and, and drinking some maybe oysters and stout. Is is the Irish way, you know? Um, but having some beer at the beach with uh, some oysters out of a cooler, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with... Um, uh, doing an oyster luge with with scotch, we just sort of takes all that like like similar to what you do with a marrow luge. Take take all that extra that brininess that's in the shell and shoot all that back with some with some scotch. I mean, there's something beautiful to be said about whatever you like. I mean, you, know, you can't have a tannic red. There's people who do have tannic reds; they love it. So it just sort of depends on on what your thought process, how you enjoy food, and who am I to tell you that you're doing it wrong if that's the way you enjoy it. Unless it's cocktail sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. So, I was waiting for it. I was like, I'm, I'm, I need, I'm thinking of a question to encourage this yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. But you, oh, yeah. you just got unless, to unless it's cocktail sauce. That's the, only, <laughs> that's the only way you're, you're not allowed. You're not allowed if it's cocktail sauce. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's guys who are now doing like incredible things. And this is where I sort of get torn. There's, there's some guys doing beautiful things with, with oyster recipes where they're, they're putting it. I've got a, a buddy who does it with a... Um, Almost like a like a dill oil and a champagne with a creme fraiche. It's beautiful. It tastes delicious. But I'm a little bit of a purist. I like Does the it hide oyster. The oyster though, you're going to lose some of the oyster and caviar yeah. flavor. Yeah. Right. So for me, I, I can do it. I will do it. I have done it. It depends on what the what the client wants out of it. Um, but for me, caviar and oysters are good by themselves. You know, there's no reason to hide that flavor or to make it more. Or to or to 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 take away from it and, and create this thing that's that's that doesn't need to be, but at the same point time I've I've had some incredible incredible experiences that have this other side of it too. So, okay, I want to talk a bit about Big Shucker. Sure, and I guess where and how the idea came up. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but like I want to know what went into starting the business. Yeah, so... Um, so you've been working at restaurants for a while. You've been shucking yep. a shit ton of oysters. Yeah. And you're like, I want to do my own thing. I want, yeah, I want to do my own thing. So I, I wanted to... The one, the one thing that, that was rough about Vancouver from coming back from uh, Washington, D.C., uh, the, the DMV area, is um, a, lot of the, a lot of the shuckers down there are owned... Or are their own separate entities. Like, they're not, they don't, they're not owned by a restaurant, per se, where you shuck for Rappahannock, that's all you shuck for. You shuck for um, Old Debit Grill, and that's the only guy you shuck for. These guys move around. It's like an independent contractor? It's similar, yeah. I mean, you might have a home base. You might be, yeah. I, you might be the guy, you might be Rappahannock shucker. But it's like it a doesn't, DJ almost? Yeah. You get hired essence, for, yeah. like, a, so you work every Saturday, Friday and Saturday night for 
yeah. four months or and whatever. Then, and then and then you can get a phone call. The restaurant can get a phone call from from uh, from a different restaurant and be like, hey, we, we need somebody. We're short. Do you have anybody? And you can get sent over to work for somebody else or, or do a pop-up at a, at a beer garden or do um, however it may be, however you want to take a look at it. That's something that can be done. Um, and when I got here, I found that the culture was a little bit more closed off. If you were a Rodney's guy, you're Rodney's guy. If you were a, a Chewy's guy, you were a Chewy's guy. If you were a Fanny Bay guy, you were a Fanny Bay guy. And we all got together and hung out and, and, and drank at, at at the competitions and at parties and stuff like that. But we would never, we were never anything but that thing that we were. And it wasn't it wasn't good enough for me. And the, the culture in Vancouver, honestly, is lacking quite a bit. Um, there's festivals down there. I shook this thing down in D.C. called the Oyster Riot. And the Oyster Riot is a 50,000 oyster event. So it's all you can drink, all you can eat. And you show up and there's probably uh, 25 to 35 different oysters from different farms from around the world. And you basically just line up and walk your way around. It goes... Oyster Farm, Oyster Farm Brewery, Oyster Farm, Oyster Farm Winery. And you just walk around and you get hammered and you drink. So I'm sitting there shucking this thing and it opened my eyes to the potential that oysters have. Now I've come back to Vancouver where you have all these people here and it's right there. It's at our fingertips. And I find that we've, especially in Vancouver, get a little lackadaisical when it comes to this kind of stuff where it's so available to us all the time that we sort of take it for granted. And the oyster community is a little bit lacking. We don't have 15 oyster houses. We've got six, you know, six, six, six places that are oyster houses, not places that are restaurants that do oysters, but six raw bars, six oyster houses. And so when I came in, I was like, well, how do we change the culture? And I'm not going to change the restaurant industry in Vancouver like by working at a restaurant. So if I can change it, I can, I can give a new experience to a consumer, um, then why not try that? So I, I thought about. It. I talked to some buddies back east, and one of the big components for me doing this was actually he's a competitor now. But I went out and visited uh, Jesse with Wandering Mollusk, and he was doing it at he was shucking oysters at Yellow Dog and at Parkside out in Port Moody, and I took the Skytrain out there, met him, had some beers with him, hung out. We hung out all day, all night, talked about the business, talked about what he saw, what his what his ideas for it were, um, talked about business licensing and catering versus any other aspect and, and how to make it work. And we ended up going to Rodney's and I don't remember getting home that night, you know? <laughs> so it was a true, a true, a true oyster shucker experience with this guy um, where you don't remember a lot. And, uh, and but it was it was it was sort of then and there after talking to him I was like you know what let's let's do this let's add something else to not not because well because competition is good if there's only one guy doing it what's the, what's what's the purpose you know and on the other side of that what why not why not have more guys do it make it more available and change the way that people see oysters in Vancouver so whether it be at shucking at a brewery or going up to the interior shucking at a winery or doing it at a convention doing it, um, weddings, birthday parties, sort of whatever it may be, and providing different experiences for each for each venue, for each type of event. So there's uh, shucking, so I'm shucking a Super Bowl party in a couple of weeks. It's a small party. It's for uh, some people who just want oysters at their Super Bowl party. Can I just say I love that the oyster industry I love that the oyster industry has its own adjective. Just like 
no matter what, it's just shucking, shucking. As soon as you hear that word, you're like, I know it's, it's oysters. Unless you're in the Midwest and then it's corn, right? <laughs> so, but for the most part, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, right? I love that. So, yeah. You know, this guy, my buddy was shucking over here. I was shucking over yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. No, I love it, that. It, it, it's, it's really cool. I mean, and now, like, uh, because I've been to a couple, a couple, um, competitions, I've, I've met some of the guys from around the world. Like, I actually, it was, I didn't meet the guy who was wearing it, but I, one of my hats, I, I gave to a guy named Eamon Clark. Eamon Clark's, uh, I think, arguably the best oyster shucker ever. Um, like, he, he is the Tom Brady of Are you oyster be him? shucking. No. no what? He's, he's in a world of his own. Like, when I say, no, but what's his he, name? Eamon Clark. Okay, we need to get him on the podcast. Girl. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll give him a call for you. Eamon Clark. Get him, get him to call in. We'll do a live podcast. He'll rip me apart. Uh, he's a, he's Where's a, he from? He's from Toronto. He works oh, for we can get he's, him. So he's, you know, you know Rodney. Uh, you know Rodney's. Yep. Rodney is Eamon's dad. So oh, let's just go down to Rodney's and get hammered. No, on not, not, the, not the Vancouver Rodney's. The oh. one in Toronto oh, and the sure. one in Calgary is what his family owns. His family got to take a plane. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll make the introduction. He's he is he is the guy that I aspire to be. He's a true professional through and through. Like he he will go out and he will he will take care of the people who come into town who are oyster lovers. He'll meet he'll meet oyster shuckers at the airport and take you out for breakfast. He'll you'll crash on his couch like. That's the that's the beauty of the oyster industry is that we're, we're it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and if somebody comes to town, we're all getting together, we're all hanging out. Um, so it makes it pretty cool because so. But anyways, to go back, so there's some guys I've 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 haven't met yet, or guys I have met. I've, I know I know the guy who is um he was the former Danish champ. Um, I've known guys who are Canadian champs, U.S. champs, uh, all over the place, all over the world. I've met these guys, and it's, it's incredible to have like this. As big as the world is, you can go to some of these coastal towns and be like, hey, I'm an oyster shark. Oh, do you have your knife on you? Yeah, yeah. Hop on behind the bar, bud. Do you carry a knife at all times? What do you call? What do you call the? I just oyster shucking knife, oyster okay. shucking tool. Sort of depends. I generally have one on me most times. Uh, I less so now that I'm not in the restaurant every day, um, but as I know exactly where they are. I have I have a like a box or, you know, um, when you walk. I don't know if they, I might be making this up. Like this happens only in my head. But you go to somebody's house and they've got a collection of something. Yeah. You know, and it just yeah. opens up. And as the, as the case opens, you like it sort of twinkles a little bit. Yeah. Ah. You know, you get like that, that angelic sort of chiming that comes through. That's how I feel about my, my knives. You know, <laughs> I open up this box and there's like 15 of them sitting there and I'm just like, oh, this is, these are my toys. These are mine, you know? And it's, so it's, it's weird. It's really weird, but I guess we're all weirdos when it comes to being oyster nerds. So we all, like we all like our knife and it's weird because it's all, it's all muscle memory. So we get there and we, we start shucking oysters and we we're popping these things and we can feel from two knives that we sort of file down or shape or get made for us, we can tell the difference. They can be made the exact same way. They will have different feels. Like it's, it's so finicky. It's so minute. The muscle memory is, is so incredible. And now I make like, I make us all sound like we're incredible athletes. Like we're, we're all throwing like 98 <laughs> mile an hour fastballs, like dead center. That's not what it is, but I mean, there is something like it, it, when you get to that level um, of shocking, it's, you, the oysters feel different, and you can you can sort of sense and sort of feel how how they're shucking day to day, which is which is kind of cool. So, <laughs> so far, yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to hear more about Big Shucker. Okay, so one thing that excites me is just like the figure it out mentality of any entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> so you you see this niche in the market that Greater Vancouver sucks for individual 
oyster shucking businesses. I think not that it's uh, sorry. Maybe I displayed that incorrectly, but it's more it's more uh, centralized into locations. Like you're the Rodney's guy, you're the Chewy's guy, blah 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 blah. blah. So you see this this idea that of this traveling person that can go to different events and venues and ideas. But where, like, what are the next like few things that you do Uh, to get from the the idea to putting it down? Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. like, what are the steps that you go through from going from, I think this would be a really good idea to showing up at your first event with, <laughs> with your cool fucking truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, a shit ton of oysters. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, I think, uh, it goes back to what, what makes a shucker shucker to begin with. It's the ability to be able to, to talk to that wall and have a good time. So, um, we generally end up being the, the, I don't want to say the life of the party every time, but we're a lot of people like hanging out with the shuckers. We're the ones who uh, won't out drink the bartenders. You know what I mean? Cause this is what we do. You don't, you don't shuck oysters without a drink. You know what I mean? It's just weird. It's weird if you're sober shucking oysters. Um, but, uh, so the first thing I, the first thing I wanted to, even before I, I thought about this, how do we change the, how do we change the, the perception? How do we change the culture in Vancouver? How does Vancouver get a 50,000 oyster event? Mm-hmm. Right, in, right in the backyard of oysters. How do we get that event going? How do we get that going? So that was sort of the idea in, in if we can bring this outside of the raw bars, if we can get this away from, from Chewy's, Rodney's, Fanny Bay, um, Forte's, uh, Wild Tail, uh, how do we get that into the, into the forefront? How do we get people thinking about oysters on a more regular basis. Um, and so that was the first thing I wanted to address. The second thing I addressed is what we talked about before is developing a, a culture or a, a branding for shuckers. I mean, why, if you love your oyster shucker, I mean, I'm not saying that we, we should be celebrities. I'm, that's not it at all. But why not be like, oh, yeah, I, Scott, he's, he's, the, he's the shucker. You know, like Eamon, he's, he's, these are my shucker. I go to him all the time. I go to uh, Mike Gill. I go to John Merrill. I go to, um, uh, David Burns. I go to all these guys, Chris Minocchio. I, you, I've never heard of any of them other than Scotty. Yeah. yeah. Well, these, these guys, these guys are all, you must be the best. No, no, no. You're just, you just, you just had them three times. That's all. <laughs> you don't know. You don't, you don't know the trading cards yet. Right. And, uh, <laughs> um, so it was is like how how do we how do we take what some of these guys have done or how do we take these what these guys have, have branded themselves and how do we take it to the next level? So develop a brand, develop a logo, develop something that somebody recognizes when they when they think about oysters. You know, I want I see that logo, I want that guy to shuck for me. I want I want this image at my wedding. I want this image at my birthday party. When I die, I want to have a cheers of of oysters to me based off of who this this is and so a lot of it was the networking so how do we talk to people uh where a logistics how do i get my oysters how do i transport my oysters how do i make sure i'm satisfying everything that all the health boards want me to satisfy how do i make sure it's a safe um product that i'm that i'm giving to people uh how do i uh I, all all the, the 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 logistics of making an event to how do i get paid if I'm doing a pop-up, how do I get paid? Where do I take my money? Do I do cash only? Um, to how do I how do I price this? What's what's my value in, in shucking? What's the oysters value plus my value? What is that worth? Um, and so there's a lot of little factors that sort of played into into the the brainstorm and construction of of big shucker traveling raw bar. And where do you go for that info? You, I, 
because because it didn't necessarily exist in BC. Yeah, I think I think you draw parallels. You yeah. draw a lot of parallels with with catering companies. So, what's the difference between a guy shucking oysters or somebody doing a charcuterie board for a hundred people? Or I don't know if this is offensive or not, but let's let's hear it. Like, do you compare yourself to a food truck at all? Like, oh, it's not, it's not offensive. I I don't I don't I'm I'm a caterer. Okay, I am a caterer. I'm not. I'm not doing anything out of my truck. My truck's just basically transportation to and from. Okay, and then uh, I got the one I did because it fits everything and it looks really cool. Okay, you know, um, I guess for people who are out there, I have a '52 Chevy panel that's bright yellow right now. If you see me <laughs> driving around Vancouver, give me a honk. <laughs> There's only one of them out there, uh, so if you see it, definitely stop by. I mean, say hi if you see me around too. Um, we'll do shameless. I'll do shameless plug now as well at the end. A big shucker on social media, <laughs> uh, Facebook and Instagram. Oh, just reach, be a big reach one out. At the end. Yeah, just roll. And anybody, reach out if you have questions. I get a lot of questions actually. I, what what some of these guys? So what Jesse did for me when when he sat down and talked to me and and said this is what I want to do, or th- when I said this is what I want to do, and he said, well, think about this, think about that. Um, business licenses were one thing that that came up, um, and I've I've said this a lot. It's for a long time in Vancouver. It was easier to sell marijuana illegally than it was to sell an oyster legally. You know, and that, that was crazy to me. And I think a lot of people with liquor find it the same way. It's easier to sell marijuana illegally than it is to sell alcohol legally because of the amount of hoops and, and, and yeah. paperwork and stuff that you need to jump through. I think that, and this is probably going to piss off the government, so I don't know if I should say it, but uh, alcohol in... Who gives a shit? In, the NDP sucks right now. <laughs> the, the alcohol, <laughs> making alcohol work in in BC is, is antiquated. It's an antiquated laws that we're working with. I mean, the fact that, that there's so many people who got shut down, balls taken away, or it's so hard to get a liquor license makes it very difficult. Now the same, I don't want to say the same to the same degree is true for oysters, but it's definitely a very monitored um, industry or, or subsect of restaurants. And when we look at it, uh, not only is it Vancouver Coastal Health, Fraser Health, it is also uh, the BC CDC as well as the CFIA that are all looking at the quality of oysters and when they should shut it down. Now, they want to shut down oysters right right from the start. If somebody gets sick, it must be the oyster's fault. <laughs> I, I can probably, I don't know if, I don't know if I don't have stats for this 100%, but I would venture to guess that more people died from romaine lettuce in 2018 than yeah. they did from oysters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't, I, don't have, I don't have any stats to prove it. I haven't looked up how many people have died from oysters or I don't have the stat in my head of how many people died from romaine lettuce, but I'm pretty sure it's more. Same thing, I've, I've never been sick from oysters. I've never, I've never been sick uh, from having oysters. I've, I've been sick from eating chicken, um, probably more times than I can. Well, there's no more times than I can count. I've, I've had like two sicknesses where I've been from chicken, um, but I, I know, I know it's chicken. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and over the course of five years, I've probably had just as many oysters as I've as I've had like chicken nuggets in my life. You know, and so so to 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 be to be on that side of it, I don't think I can't remember the last time I had a chicken nugget. To be honest with you, um, I think there's but, so many shuckers out there right now that are going to listen to this. They're going to be so pissed that you compared an oyster to a chicken nugget. Well, no, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, compar- words in the same I'm not comparing oysters to chicken. I'm saying that that um, I guess that chicken chicken I think makes people more sick. But if somebody is at a wedding and they've had oysters and chicken, the chicken could be un, not cooked right. Right, they're going to blame the oysters. Yeah. So there's a lot of hoops, and I, it, it was very tricky for me to to make sure I was I was. Uh, crossing my T's and dotting my I's and making sure that not only was I, am, am I consistently sufficing what Vancouver Coastal Health wants? Um, because ultimately, if I don't do what they say, it's my fault. 
Um, but the other side of it is making sure the insurance is in place and all that other kind of stuff. Mm. Now, I do have, I do think that I, I understand what they're there for. I do know that the the, the health and safety is priority. I, I understand that. I'm not, would never put somebody in say, but I do think that we're, we get to the point too in this city where we look at things that have been done for the past 200 years, say, you know what, that's not good enough. Well, it's been happening for nobody's, very few people have died in the last 200 years from from this thing. I'm not just talking <laughs> about oysters in general, or oysters specifically, but like I guess food and beverage in general as well, um, where they make things. I don't say they make things. They, they they're doing they're doing what's best for the people, regardless of of history, which I guess science science is is where we where we expand. I guess I'm getting a little technical a little bit more i feel like i'm getting more more vague as i keep talking about this because i don't want to step on any toys and toes and make anybody anybody mad at me so at my next i submit my next paperwork for my next event they're like oh no <laughs> no no you're not you're not doing this um one day i hope i reach is that big carl that we can affect yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether a business gets business or not <laughs> i don't think we're there yet <laughs> yeah i'm i'm uh yeah I mean, next time i go to to apply for my for a, a Temporary permit to shuck away. So like, yeah, I heard you on that podcast. Yeah. You shit out of lick, shit, shit out of luck, kid. You one, know? one day it's gonna be there. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope. So. I hope you have me back on then when people listen to you. Hundred percent. Okay, let, let's get a little more specific. Specific yep. then. You said branding early on was big. Yeah, I l- love the logo. Thank you. I love how it evolved. I know we talked a little bit about it, yep. but where do you go from like? Branding licenses. Now, how do I get events? How do I get into? Yeah. Um. So a lot of a lot of the events, um, right off the bat, are telling people. Well, right, well a lot of the events events right off the bat are about networking. How Is do it we... a unique factor too? Oh yes and no. I mean, it, people it's, probably it, haven't seen much of this, or if any, in Greater Vancouver. That's true. Yeah. So when we sit there and we say, okay, this is what I'm an added benefit for most people, especially the way I, I've I've marketed myself in pop up situations. Is you give me a corner. I've made my own bar um, that I that I set up, and you don't have to worry about me. I'm taking my own payment. There's no extra work on your end. But what you're doing is you're advertising the fact that there is this entity that's at your place that is there for one or two days only and it's just an added benefit for the people who come in so part of it's that the second part of it is is selling myself i need to sell myself because uh we talked about the product the product for big shucker isn't necessarily necessarily the oysters i am the product why are you paying for me to be there versus anybody else um so, so when when you look at it that way, it I need to go into it understanding that I am I am the the product, and you're 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 purchasing my time, you're purchasing my my entertainment for you, and we have this this great um, this great conversation that usually happens uh, because a lot of restaurateurs, a lot of a lot of people who are behind the bar have a lot of personalities, regardless if they're oyster shuckers or the chefs or their their bartenders or their servers or hosts or hosts. It doesn't matter. Busters. Everybody in the restaurant industry has a lot of has a lot of um, personality. So I think a lot of it's going in and saying, "Hey, what do you think?" And then somebody sees it, and it really is exponential. Somebody sees it, and oh, I want that at my wedding. You know, do, do you do weddings? Yeah, yeah, I do weddings. I would love that at my wedding because so and so didn't have it at their wedding. You know, and you, you can almost like you can almost have that that sort of growth, or you can have um, 
like meeting meeting you guys when you guys came in, and then, then John talking to me about um about shucking yes. shucking his Christmas party. So I exactly. go out there and I'm I'm shucking for for the all the all the 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 people who work in the building are coming out and and uh, if one of those people calls me, it's it's worth it, you know, because it's. What do we do next? How do these people start thinking about us? Oh, you know what I really like? I'm I'm doing a, a Super Bowl party. It'd be so cool to have oysters at my Super Bowl party. It'd be so cool to have oysters at my New Year's party. It'd be so my birthday. I'm I'm having my my 30, 40, 50, 60th birthday. Um, I would love to have oysters at at this. Like you, you, they're my favorite food. And so, making myself available has been one of those things I've learned. Like always answer the phone no matter what. You know, never, 100%. never let it, never let it ring, um, never let it run through to voicemail. Uh, always voicemails on everything's on silent over here make sure <laughs> um but yeah make make sure that that i'm always there i'm always available and i mean it does get it can be a little bit tiring there's certain days where i don't want to have to be on you know it is it is my personality to turn it on i, I show up and let's it's be honest it's not it's not a facade i put i don't put on a mask i get like a clown i walk in hey guys how you doing it's it's like this is this is me time to time I, i'm sure i'm exhausting for people to, to hang around like, let's go do something man it's fun um uh, but yeah, so that's, I think a lot of it to get jobs is that connection. How do I, how do I meet people? And I think the first, the first couple of people I met in the city were, were people that I, in the restaurant industry that I really respected and, and becoming friends with them and, and listening to the way that they spoke and listening to the way they talked about the industry and the, them knowing everybody, um, is is something that was huge. Like my, my, the job I wanted to work more than anything was I wanted to shuck oysters at Merchants on Commercial Drive before it became when it was Oyster Bar. Um, I would have worked for them even after they they got out of the Oyster Bar. Now that they've closed down, they're now running DL Chicken and DL Burgers, which is fantastic. But Doug there was incredibly influential. Somebody I respected. I, I respect the hell out of. Like and he knows everybody. He's the mayor of Commercial Drive. I mean, he walks up and down. You can't walk a block. It doesn't take less than an hour. You know, he's just shaking hands and, and shaking hands, kissing babies the entire way up and down the street. <laughs> and um, and for me to see that, and for me to to have, I guess those those mentors, role models, and guys that I was looking at in the industry um, was important. They were the ones who introduced me. Hey, Scotty, uh, have you met so and so? And all of a sudden, they say, "Hey, have you met so and so?" And one of the guys that Doug introduced me to was Mark Singsong, who was on Top Chef. And then it turns out that the Top Chef guys were in PEI at the same seafood festival. So I'm I'm seeing Mark all the time. So me and Mark were talking here, sit down, had a couple of drinks, uh, go for coffee when he's free because he's a lot busier than I am. <laughs> um, his time's a little bit more valuable than mine too. I have to be. He's a, he's a he's a true celebrity now. Um, <laughs> for but you compare it to to um, me like me, me meeting these guys, and then all of a sudden I'm, I guess I'm I'm in PEI and and I'm, I've got all the I'm talking with all the, sh- the shuckers, but then I'm going over and I'm I'm able to say hey how are you guys doing? It's nice to meet you and 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 meeting some of these chefs as well, and then talking with some of the the shuckers who are chefs and. It's just all always about networking. I went to Montreal after that trip, and I, I met up with a buddy uh, named Jason Nagy out there, and we're talking about potentially doing some cool stuff out there and across Canada. And, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of dreamers and dreaming. And I think it, the other thing too is it's one thing to say this is what I want to do. It's another thing to I don't know to be to be driven enough or to be dumb enough to actually do it. You know, to take that step out, it's it's, it's scary. It's really fucking scary to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm going to tie myself to this for the rest of my life and I'm going to spend a lot of money getting this off the ground and this may not work you know it's taking it's it's a it's a gamble and um I'm not sure what got me over that hump I'm not sure what exactly got me to that point where 
I I took that leap. I took that and said, you know what, screw it, let's just do it. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that, a lot of reasons that that hold people back. And I think part of part of my ability to be able to, or, or not my ability, but but part of me to get to where I am, was just that that leap of faith mm-hmm. and hope and hoping that it would all work out and trusting myself enough that I could, I you know what I might I might be okay doing this you know it's going to be a tough couple of years but I'll eventually get there, so um, yeah and I think goal setting along the way like the the business side of it was something it's not just showing up to an event and shocking oysters, you're right how do how do I get how do I get legal how do I get the job how do I price the job how do I present myself when I'm at this job? Um, how do I keep in touch after the fact? How do I collect payment sometimes? That's that's so many steps. And then what's next? And then in a year, now that I'm coming up on a year, what do I want to do in year two for, for Big Shucker? What, am I, what do I want to focus on? And that's where it's a constant evolving process that I've that it really attracts me about it, it makes me happy I took the faith the, the leap of faith but it's also like whoa like what what is this what am I what the hell am I doing I have no idea what I'm doing but I kind of like it you know you mentioned networking a few times and I've said this before and I say this in a lot of like coffee meetings to new realtors or or whatever in our industry is that networking is the most overtalked but underrated idea in business so people say it all the time They're like how do you get started oh you got to network you got to go to these events you got to yeah. meet people blah, blah 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 what does it actually mean and how to grow a business the value of building relationships yeah in and outside of your industry is so valuable long term it's insane so like meeting yeah. john through our friends yeah. and now yeah. you're doing this christmas party like it's, yeah. it's insane well do, doing this doing this podcast Hundred percent. I mean, knowing Alex growing up, being buddies with Alex and and the D'Angelos, and then and then now I'm doing a podcast with you. Like if you if you told me if you told me when uh, I was a kid when Alex was breaking one finger that um, <laughs> that I can hey, in in twenty in twenty years from now um, you're gonna own an oyster shucking company and be in a podcast. <laughs> you're fucking crazy. If you told me 12 months ago I'd be hosting a podcast, yeah, I would have told you you're enough. fucking crazy. Fair enough, yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think, I think what you said is, is exactly right when it comes to networking is how do we, how do we, how is it meaningful? Because it's one thing to be, oh, I, yeah, I know that guy. There's another thing for that guy to think of me when, when we talk about oyster shucking. For sure. What, what makes Scotty the guy? And that's what makes, I think, what I do so unique um, is the fact that I don't, I don't, I'm not selling a product. I'm selling myself. There's no problem. I'm not sitting there saying, "Hey, here's here's an oyster. I really think you'd like it." I'm saying, "The oyster. You can get the oyster anywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. You'll have that oyster." I'm the reason why you're hiring me, and it's the the whole thing from top to bottom. And it's weird because when I wake up to when I go to sleep to the beard, the beard is part of the brand. You know what I mean? And there's so many layers to it um, that that really sort of sort of speak out. Big Shucker is it's the name. It it if you think about a company that that describes itself in its name it, big shucker describes itself pretty pretty aptly what what <laughs> i mean i am i am the big shucker i mean there's sure there's guys that are bigger than me that i shuck but i mean i i have become the big shucker so there's i think there's a little bit of that of that um um that branding and and they, they said that networking what, what's the difference between hey yeah i know that guy's a great guy to yeah i know that guy's he's, he's a shucker he's the, the one of the best shuckers i know he's so knowledgeable i i'm when i think about a party that's the guy i want there and that becomes tricky 
but it's also because I think it comes naturally. I don't I don't want to play it off like it's it's like I'm very lucky with with that. I, I it's something that I, I I don't have to work very hard. I think that's what makes me a good shucker is the fact that you want to come and hang out. <laughs> you want to hang out. Not only do you want to you want to have me shuck your oyster, but you're gonna say, hey, you want a beer and you want to have a beer with me. You're gonna hang out with me. We're gonna talk because I shuck oysters, and you might come over and be like, hey, can you teach me? And it's it's a very fluid, uh, evolving process. You're a year a year into the business. Yeah, March March will be a year, so I'm uh, ten months. So you're fairly new. Yep. <laughs> Something I want to ask you because you've talked so much about like yourself being the brand. I think a lot of early young entrepreneurs feel the same way, but you get to a point where you're capped. Yeah. And then if you are the business, how do you scale or do you want to scale? Yeah, no, I I do. And I think, I think that that becomes uh, along with the goals and that becomes who I align myself with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they have to be bearded. uh, No, not necessarily. (laughs) But I mean, I think, I think if if I'm going to hire somebody else, it's going to be like the, the personality has got to be big, hundred percent, you know? And, um, and, uh, so I have, I have a really great, a really great friend who's working with me right now uh, on big shucker and she's doing a great job with the social media and, and, um, and maintaining uh, like a peer-to-peer sort of uh, relationships, mm-hmm. um, and I'm doing more of that going out and getting getting stuff. But I've also got or more getting out new clients and and and, and networking from from I guess a, a point of sale side of things. Um, I also have buddies. Like I've got a, a, a pseudo business partner who runs a, a catering company called Salt and Earth, and he does full blown catering. I kept mine what I do very niche. Now I have done some stuff where it's a little bit. Where it's not just oysters and caviar, I I can do other things. I do I have done other things, but for me, I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep it niche. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of caterers out there. There's no point in mudding the waters. Um, I think what I would do would I, I would do it well, but there's no point in in like for me. I I wanted to be the oyster guy, not the the caterer who does oysters. But I work with John Merrill who does um who owns Salt and Earth Catering, him and his wife run that. And uh, we work pretty hand-in-hand. Uh, I'll bring him on for shucking events because he's a fantastic shucker. Um, he'll bring me on for catering events if he can't do the shucking. So it's it's a pretty nice relationship. And I think the goal for both of us, whether it be together or separately, is to own a restaurant. And so what's the next step? The next step is to keep building the catering side of things because you don't need a brick and mortar. The nice thing, The nice thing about what I do is I don't have to pay rent. On, on what I'm doing. I have to pay car insurance. <laughs> you know what I mean? A business license and car insurance. Um, but... Uh, well, well, one thing you said that I think is really important to even just touch on a little bit more is building a business, building a culture, and understanding what the culture of business is and then hiring to fit the culture. Yeah. So hiring personalities and people, doesn't matter if they're men, women, doesn't matter if they have a fantastic yeah, beard yeah, like yeah. you but just like people that fit the culture yeah. and will fit the realm of like what you're trying to do yeah so i'm i'm i think uh, i'm a little bit more particular about that than people realize mm-hmm. cuz when i show up uh and, and get things ready to go there there has been a lot of thought put into the way the bar looks to the way that i present um my sauces or 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 uh, lemons or however it may be. Like the way I cut lemons is a little bit different than what normally is done, and I think it looks beautiful. So instead of cutting it like you would like orange slices for a, for a soccer game, you cut them <laughs> so where you see, where you see like the individual pieces of, of, the, of the lemon, you get that white stripes throughout it. I think it looks beautiful. Um, 
I'm sure there's people out there that are stupid, but for me, it's little things, making sure, making sure the bar is clean, uh, making sure that the, that the, if there's garbage cans out, that they're empty at all times, you know, let's make sure that they're small enough that we have to make sure that the people always feel like they're, they're, they're clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certain aspects to that, that, that really appeal to me. Um, but what were we talking about? I just went on another tangent. I completely scaling, forgot. Oh, scaling building culture. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, the, the idea. I, I would love. I would love to get to the point where um, I've got three or four different different events on the go, and I've got different people shucking different events, or I've got something that's so big that uh, I need to have three or four people uh, working it at one time. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely that goal there, and that that's going to be it's sort of a race to see what happens first at this point in time. If we build it that much, or we get the restaurant first and sort of hire in the restaurant the, that way, you know, because but it, there's a lot of thought that goes into that goes into what's next and how I want to present and how I want to be represented um, when it comes to these types of things. So you mentioned a restaurant. What's the uh, big picture for Big Shucker and Scotty. So I, I, I think I have, I have some pretty cool ideas. I'm not going to get uh, super in depth with, because I want to keep those uh, pretty close to the heart. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, I want to do sort of what made me fall in love with the restaurant industry, which is that true East coast style, raw bar, pescatarian type of place where the menu's simple. We'll have uh, a soup, oysters, um, a couple appetizers. Like I want to do a true wet, uh, East coast style crab cake, no filler. Just want it to be all crap, you know, a little remoulade to keep it all together. Oh man, and um, and then basically, I want to have that as uh, like sort of the base. And then I want to wake up every morning at eight a.m. with a phone call, text message, being like, "Hey, Scotty, this is what came in on the boat today. It's super fresh. Do you want to use it?" And sort of develop a menu, a constantly like a daily, almost rotating menu around. Um, around what the chef can come up with and keep it constantly fresh, constantly fun. I don't want to be open. I want to be, I want to be closed uh, two days out of the week. You know, let's focus on, on recharging the batteries. I want to make sure everybody's taken care of. Um, I want to do great cocktails, fantastic wine, good beer. And I want it to be a place where people can come in and feel happy that they're, that they're coming in to spend money at. You know, it's, they want to, they want to come here. It's not, we're, we're coming, I guess we got to go out for, for a meal. Let's go out with a bunch of people. Let's, this is, this is something special that we can go to, to celebrate, but this is also somewhere where we can go every single day and, and just have a drink at the bar and go home. So that's sort of the goal is to do, I, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I just want to take what I love, what I think would do well and, and make it, Make it successful in this city. And I think that comes back to what we talked about, the passion, surrounding myself with the people and the passion. What, what started it for me was seeing these people who loved what they did, who would, I don't say agonize, but would think and constantly be thinking about, how do I make this better? What do I do? How do I, how do I, how do I make this the best dish I can make right now? And then explore that. And what, what can we do next time? How do we make it better? And, and, and really impressing the people that way. So that's sort of, that's sort of the goal, um, right now for, for getting a, a restaurant started. And I think, and that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation too. With the restaurant, do raise a bunch of money, get a bunch of investors and try to make it work with, with, and try to make it work from a grassroots level. Or do we start with the grassroots level, build the catering to the point where, Hey, I love what you do. I want to, I want to be able to have it 
every day of the week. Here's a bunch of money. Start a restaurant, you know? So I'm sort of up in the air between the two because that's, that's when we get back to that, that food truck side. You have how many times people start as food trucks and all of a sudden they're so popular, like, let's start a brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. It's just tough to go straight into restauranting in Greater Vancouver because it's so expensive to do so, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many fail in, in restaurant industry across the board, not just Vancouver? Most. But, but yeah, how, how, many, how much time does it fail? And the margins are low. The margins are even lower in, in a place like Vancouver where the real estate and labor is very high, um, where the, even the cost of goods is high. How do we make that feasible? And how do we make that not necessarily affordable, um, because not, not to make, make it sound cheap, but, but an affordable luxury in essence is how do we, how do we still make it doable for, for everybody to be able to come out and, and, and who are going to enjoy it? You know, you're going to spend money, but how are you going to, where, where's, where's that, that value at? And finding that value is tough in Vancouver. Totally. So. I what I love talking to people like you who are just like so passionate about what they do, whether it's shucking oysters, selling real estate, like literally whatever, coaching softball, yeah. like whatever it is. Yeah, I like talking to people that are super excited about what they're doing every day, and so these are the conversations that I absolutely love. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I mean, and I like I to be honest, I love the platform. I love the platform to be able to to be able to talk about it because I really do appreciate you getting me on here because it is it is fantastic. I love. I do, it's almost cathartic to be able to sit here and, and, and as I'm saying things, I'm like, oh man, that's, that, and that never dawned on me or, well, totally. that's the dumbest thing I've totally. ever said. I yeah. got to scratch it off my, my thought process. So yeah. It happens so often in the podcast where some, when a guest says something yeah. and it recreates a memory in my head of like, oh shit, maybe that helped propel me to where I am yeah. or like whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I love it. I love I love everything about, about well about talking about it too, but I love the idea of building and like I said the goal setting and seeing where we're going to be and how it's going to end up. So, yeah. To end every podcast, I tell my guests to make the final statement. So that could be like the most interesting thing you know about an oyster. It could be like the biggest fail you've had in a business and what you learned from it or whatever. Biggest piece of advice you learned along the way that oh, someone man. gave you. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have anything that's uh, too. Um, Doesn't need to be that epic. It could be like devil, you yeah. trash talking your buddy who you said was the best oyster shucker yeah. in, in Toronto. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean to end it all. I, I think. I think uh, we'll end on a positive note. We'll keep it positive. <laughs> Amen. Uh, what was the name? Uh, Amen. 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 <laughs> the guy. The guy in the city that I. The, the two guys in the city that I love are uh, John Merrill and and Mike Gill. Like those guys, I would. Yeah, they're they're great shuckers too. And, they scare me when it comes to, to shucking because they're, they're good. They're quick. Um, I heard you beat their ass in the BC competition. I, I won the BCs, yeah. And I'm, I'm, we're not going to talk about what they've done. Uh, we're just going to we're just going to talk about what I've done. And so, yeah, as far as that, I'm the BC 2018 into 2019 BC champion. Me, we'll, we'll go we'll go for it again in, in June, hopefully, and we'll see we'll see how we do in June um, for that. But yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. I mean, it's, it's such a cool culture. I mean, I, I think um, I guess if we if we can do a couple a couple plugs, uh, keep your guys eyes open. Uh, Bikers for Autism at Chewy's in Cole Harbor is a fantastic shucking competition for a lot of people. It's the first chance and one of the only chances in Vancouver they get to come out and see a shucking competition. Is that the one in June? That's the one in May. I think it's May twenty sixth this year. I think okay. it's going on the fifth or sixth year of of Shuck It Forward. Okay. I think it's the fifth year Shuck It Forward. So Shuck It Forward is done by Bikers for Autism where all the proceeds go towards uh, the Bikers for Autism charity. Uh, helps out families um, who where the parents need to take a day off to take a kid to a, 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 um, 
like a, an appointment or something like that. Um, but it's it's a great time. You will remember showing up. I can almost guarantee you will not remember leaving. It is one of the <laughs> sloppies. But everybody who I've told to come comes and have said uh, who who I've told to come who has made it said it is one of the best times they've had in Vancouver. Um, so I'm not sure when the tickets are going on sale, but check out Bikers for Autism, uh, Shuck It Forward, Chewies, and uh, Coal Harbor because um, that's a great event. And then June will be um, the BC. Uh, seafood festival out in Comox. Uh, that's a cool one too. If you get, it's like a ten day ten day event where they're putting on cooking demonstrations. You can try everything that BC and the Pacific Northwest has to offer in terms of the seafood. So if you get an opportunity to go out even for a day, um, go out and check it out because it's it's cool. Um, so those are gonna be my two my two sort of plugs here, and uh, just because I like hearing my voice talk. Uh, <laughs> but but I think uh, from a business standpoint, um, I think I think the biggest thing the biggest thing for me. Um, was the constant evolution of the business and and each step sort of taking a a step back to reflect and taking a a look on what we can do differently the next time how can we can make it better um and the other one is is if you if you have an idea you do your research and you still think it's a good idea then take that leap i mean that's that's huge that's that to me is that's what holds most people up is not not taking that jump not saying that I mean, one of the best things you can do is work for yourself it's a pain in the ass it's a lot of work but when you get there and you're doing it and, and it doesn't always pay off the way you expect i mean i'm not gonna be driving around a lamborghini but why would i i've got a 52 chef um <laughs> but um yeah i think there's there's something to be said about about doing it because it's you and and if you can make it work it's, it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot of it's a lot of fun so what do you want to do for the rest of your life uh, do that yeah exactly exactly right? what a yeah. good fucking quote i love that uh, yeah exactly yeah, if, if you when the other one uh if you feel like if you feel like you never work it's or whatever if you never go to work and i don't, I don't, I don't clearly don't if know you, love what you, you never work a day and that's it. Somewhere there you go yeah. there yeah. you go yeah yeah so it, that, that's 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 key i right now i shuck oysters i shuck oysters and i sell beer I mean, how how much better does does life it's get? It's hard to beat that, right? <laughs> I mean, I can't can't complain about life. So nothing to complain about right now. Scotty, thanks so much for coming on. No worries. It's a pleasure it. getting to know you better. Thank I'm you. I'm sure there's going to be a couple beers in our near future. There will definitely some beers, oysters. We'll have a good time for sure. If people want to know more about the Big Shucker business, how do they uh, find yeah. you on social media? So it's, everything's at Big Shucker, um, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I think there's a LinkedIn. I believe there's a LinkedIn. <laughs> Your business um, big, partner yeah, does that. Yeah. <laughs> big, big shock at gmail.com is a good way to, to email me. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you think I'm full of shit, let me know. Um, yeah, because my phone's attached to my hip. This is the longest I think I haven't looked at it in uh, in months. So, yeah. So, yeah, the big shocker, big shocker, big shocker. And, and let me know if, you, if you're interested in booking me, have any oyster questions, have any concerns, um, let me know. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Hit me up on Instagram with your feedback, Denny.Duma. Later.